Hey everyone, it's about time we give you what you've all been waiting for for years, right? And you know exactly what it is. On today's episode, we have the American National Quidditch Champion of 2018 on the cast. Yeah, I, I don't know how we actually ended up that way. It turns out that Alex McKinley, also known as Vivarus, recently won Eternal Weekend Mox Emerald Vintage. So he actually took down the prize that the big painting and he's one third of the trifecta of vintage eternal champions this year. So that's going to be exciting. Alex made quite a name for himself as one of the most proficient pilots of the Epic Storm. He's a, an author and a content creator on theepicstorm.com. I think he's been that for the last three years. And on today's show, we're going to learn a lot about how he actually managed to pilot his Grixis breach... Tinker, yeah, seriously, Vintage, you gotta come up with better deck names. Like, what is that? Grixis Breach Tinker? Like, when did we just, like, start naming cards that are in the deck? That's that's not how you do it. But anyway, first half of this podcast, roughly the first hour, is gonna be all about Vintage. If you wanna skip that, if you wanna skip to the legacy portion, that's gonna start in the second half, where we will look at a lot of decks that have performed really well recently. Like, took down a couple of challenges that were in the Energy Series, uh, that were in the Showcase. And we also learn why Sword of Hearth and Home apparently is a legacy card now. So have a lot of fun. Also, this episode features a unique, non-fungible intro that we will never repeat this way. So we better just jump right into it. Have a lot of fun and see you on the other side. something that was a little bit wrong with that julian oh my god oh wait that was uh, why we have to go over the first five minutes again alex i swear to god we're not this unprofessional <laughs> this is, oh, you're just this rusty just rusty this has ever happened oh my god so okay. anyway this is a great intro um everyone welcome to everyday eternal number 114 someone who wasn't me and not our lovely guest didn't press record we've been just chatting for like the past 20 minutes about bullshit and stuff so um yeah do you want to introduce us, Julian, now that it's pressing go? <laughs> oh, well, it's, 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 has it been 20 minutes? <laughs> no, no, it can't be, right? <laughs> so I know, it's fine. More like 18 or 19. By the way, okay. shout outs to our pa- brand new Patreon, Sam Darms, Friendless Cloud on Twitch, one of the premier uh, Infect streamers. If you want to support us directly, you can do that on patreon.com slash everyday tiles. Are we going to rush through everything? No, seriously. <laughs> by, by any chance, have you have you played him the last week or two? Because maybe he infected you and your brain's going to be I a bit bet, funny. I bet. I think yeah. he actually he played something that, that included... Uh, Phyrexian Crusader, like the the that black so one. Good. Holy oh. shit, man! <laughs> so, I I uh, used to play tons of Infect in Modern, like for two or three years. It was my kind of go to uh, thing when I played a bunch more. Whenever, God, this was yeah, probably five six years ago, whatever. And there was a point in time when Jeskai Control was one of the best decks. And uh, me and my friend, we went to Black Green uh, away from Blighted Agent and played Phyrexian Crusader, and we played like Cyborg Caverns to play them get them through against these control decks and god they just like you know couldn't path or bolt it it was insane so hey we're at the point where like blue red delve is the thing and like pro red is really good so crusader must be the truth i'm pretty sure <laughs> anyway anyway quick, yeah. quick tangent <laughs> let's go <laughs> so this is where we usually say like you know what have been up to lately um so we were meant to record this podcast last friday 
and then there was like a witch inside my computer. It cursed, and um, I just like you know my mic couldn't go off. I've just moved flat, so I was thinking, yeah, great, like you know, I've just moved flat. I've got better internet going because in my past place it wasn't that good, and uh, it's all gonna be fine. Gonna have chill, and um, yeah, plug things in, and it just doesn't pick up. The computer didn't recognize it, and then I couldn't install it. Uh, Alex, our guest, he he's a tech guy. We did a quick call, and the conclusion was, nope, it's fucked. <laughs> so I went to our uh, IT <laughs> guys at work, and uh, they took a couple of days looking at it, and their conclusion was, nope, it's fucked. So here I am with a white brand new PC, which is which is quite nice. It's you know, nice I, I like to mention they actually they didn't look at your computer, and they were like, oh shit, we, we totally forgot about it. Um, uh, let's yeah, let's <laughs> say it's, it's fucked. I mean, it could have been, yeah. <laughs> Okay, Callum knows nothing about these things. Apparently, he, he we just told him it's fucked. Julian told him it's cursed. Alex told him it's fucked. So we, we go with fucked. Yeah, well, yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. I, uh, yeah. So there we go. But now um, you're back, right? Now I'm back. It's good. Um, as I said, the internet is better. So I, I was looking into OBS again last night. Probably try and stream again soon. Um, the reason I wasn't doing it before, I never liked it, was because my internet connection in the last place was over Wi-Fi and the Wi-Fi hub was like downstairs far away. It was just always like cut out and it's really frustrating and stuff. So I was also had a puppy there. She would like knock on the door every five minutes because she could hear me talking. So it was like, <laughs> and I'm a sucker because I can't like say no. So I'd have to go and open it. You know how it works? You, you must monet monetize your pets. I mean, that's how, mm. if you're a proper streamer, you, you, you really must monetize your pets. Yeah, like uh, people. Oh, most of them? Huh? What? Sorry, my, my, computer, my computer went off. Oh my God, okay. You can cut that <laughs> See, bit the out. curse is coming back. <laughs> it has not uh, been lifted. You, have, you haven't done like proper sacrifices. No, it just went to sleep and it hasn't done that in the past because it has the, the web page active. Uh, oh, weird, whatever. Okay, it's fine. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I should be monetizing my pets, definitely, like when they come in the room. But anyway, I'm away from, I'm away from the dogs now, sadly. But yeah, better computer stuff. What about you? You've had some exciting fun with your hotel. What's what's been going on there? Yeah, lo lots of exciting fun. <laughs> it's uh, it's been a thing that initially we didn't think it wasn't really a big deal, but apparently an increasing number of snakes has been coming to our hotel and just like hanging out there because apparently it's like a really nice place. It's I think the reason is it's been raining a lot, and that's at least what the snake people told us. Snake people, I mean that's what what are they called? Snake handlers? No, that that that's something that they do in yes, right, in churches and stuff. I don't know. Um, I'm not going to help you here. <laughs> like your names of it. <laughs> the, the snake catchers, I guess. They told us that the, yeah. the, the, the snakes like to come to to closer to the beach when when it's rainy, whatever. And yeah, the, my my colleagues keep finding a lot of like actual like venomous snakes, like cobras and shit, uh, around the hotel. And you can also like you can find their their shed skin. And if you if the head is preserved, they they can actually go and like oh yeah. This is a dangerous cobra, and and my colleague like she keeps posting those on 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 well not Discord Slack. That's what we use. Mm -hmm. And every time I show up to work in the morning, I I see a bunch of snakes, um, or or rather like snake skin uh, that has been found around the hotel. So, so this <laughs> is the kind of stuff you don't put out as advertisements for the hotel. Like yeah, this. yeah. I mean, I try to to, to sell people on the big five snake safari that that we also mm -hmm. offer. Uh, in nine years, almost nine years at the hotel, I haven't sold it once. That's <laughs> so. surprising. I don't know you tell it to me. I love snakes. I don't want to go near them but i really really love these dangerous venomous snakes and stuff whenever i'd go to like a zoo as a kid i would go into that section with like not not the actual snakes i don't think they had them there but like all the information and pictures of them and it was always fascinating <laughs> to me but yeah, yeah i'm not I'm not not in a hurry to pet them how's your yeah. how's your tiger safari going 
I guess I found, oh no no, no that, that, that's in South Africa right <laughs> no you've never sold one of them either have you <laughs> yeah we, we, we talked about the burning tiger safari yeah that, that that's some insider deep discord shit so if you want to get on the tiger safari <laughs> you, you get get into that no yeah um but seriously this is this is by the way something that's that also happened to me today and that was really weird like I was going over the the payment of a customer and turns out the credit card somehow I I could access everything about their credit card like including expiration date card numbers etc but not the the card verification code so i called up actually i'm gonna not name the company but it's a big big hmm. company literally everybody who has ever traveled has heard of probably and the guy on the phone was like oh yeah sure um just just tell me the credit card number and i was like i don't think i'm supposed to <laughs> like read out the credit card number he was like oh yeah sure you're sure just sent me a screenshot of the credit card number I'm like ah no <laughs> this, this is really weird are you sure you're like from this company like i didn't say that but i thought that <laughs> mm-hmm. so in the end he, he asked me to sub- submit it um with the credit card details all blanked out and I, yeah it, it yeah. was really weird we we I've, I've never been that that's actually like the biggest tension ever because it doesn't relate to anything but it's still it's so weird to me because the entire tourism industry travel industry it's all feels so scrappy and like you know he's like oh, just just read me the credit card number i'm like what <laughs> yeah that's yeah you don't give customers anyway. credit cards especially i mean you can give me yours if you want we'll see yeah uh, we, we will see you're gonna hire <laughs> some witch to uncurse your pc again i, I can see that, <laughs> that was probably well, curse, curse, curse yours yeah other things i did um because you blue balled us last week when we were like all ready to you know jump on the podcast and yeah. then you just like you couldn't find your voice uh technically yeah, I just couldn't be bothered really i i cheated and i went on the in response podcast so you're like in response to your computer problems. Yeah, yeah. Those are the uh, three guys from, uh, n- not right away, right? But a couple of days after. Those are the three <laughs> guys from Austria who started the podcast earlier this year, I want to say. Yeah, probably. And that was a very, very different experience. Um, mm-hmm. I just told Alex, they, we, we we did everything. That we, I don't want to say it was bad, worse or better. But no, it was, I'm sure. Every every podcast I've like guested on has done things differently. Right, right. They all have their ways of making things work. It doesn't really like have to be a way or anything. Yeah, and and you learn so much from like how other podcasts do stuff. And it was like really, really, really. When it's like quite the experience, it sounds weird because I had just like so much fun of those two hours, but we barely talked about legacy at all. <laughs> but if you want to learn more about Austria and uh, just have a really <laughs> good time, I very, very much recommend their their episode coming out on I think Friday. They told me. So that's cool. really just like an hour of good fun hanging out and, and shit-talking Austria because that's the only country you're really allowed to shit-talk as a German, I guess. <laughs> yeah, or vice versa. Well, we can, we can, we can get some shit-talking in later. Yeah, I guess Britain as well. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, I see. Yeah. In speaking of shit-talking countries, we have a guest from the United States of America. <laughs> hey, Alex. <laughs> oh, best introduction. Uh, that, that's fair. I'll take that. <laughs> Alex, actually, I I'm the worst prepared podcast host of the world. I only know you by Vivarius. How do I actually pronounce that? And what is your uh, entire name? If you want uh, to share that with us. So my my full name is Alex McKinley, and you pronounce my screen name uh, Vivarius. It's more of like a Latin pronunciation than anything else. I don't know why, but ah. people people just decide to put a random I somewhere in it. There's there's no I. It's yeah. And uh, I hear that your last name also like got recently got renamed to Denali or something. I, I, you must hear this joke all the time, right? Yeah, uh, not really. Um, that, oh, I think that that also happened a couple of years ago um, at this point. But uh, yeah, like that might have happened 
I don't know, mid 2000s. So that's that's a long time ago for me. <laughs> okay, cool. So we invited you not only because of your awesome names, but you did really well in the Vintage Eternal Weekend, right? Uh, from what I hear and from what I've been watching, you took down, uh, which one of the three Eternal Weekends was it? Like which, which card did you end up winning? Uh, I won the Friday Mox Emerald Tournament, which was the first one of uh, the Vintage Eternal Weekend. Yeah, and you you actually you kept your deck this secret, right? I, I saw you on Twitter and you were like, oh, dude, I yeah. think more people might want to play this. Was this like a group <laughs> effort? Did you work on this with a couple of people? Because you, you ended up, I, I guess we can we, we can release it now. Uh, you already did on Twitter. You played Grixis Breach. Yeah, so we we played Grixis Tinker Breach. And this this is a deck list that is from the one and only Bryant Cook. Um I was not that instrumental in the development of this deck list. Uh, um, mostly, I, I spent a couple of weeks just abusing my god account, playing whatever I wanted in vintage. Everything from mostly just fair blue decks, lots of ragavans, lots of lots of lots of dreadlord darkness because that card is very fun. Oh yeah, I missed that one so much. Yeah, sweet card. <laughs> yeah, just kind of learning my way around the format. Uh, dreadlord darkness is a very fun magic card, and it's a shame it got banned in Legacy. Is there only one side of the table? I'm going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but turns out that the best card in Magic is just Tinker. And, in Magic? Uh, Whoa. Yep. Best card is Tinker. Tinker uh, and is sometimes, so fucked up. Yeah. Sometimes you should just do the best thing. And so I decided on the first tournament, I'll take my shot, uh, play the best deck. Because I think the list that Bryant had came to was incredibly powerful, super smooth. And basically that came from the fact that we decided to play four Preordains, which is not exactly always common in these vintage Tinker decks. A lot of times you'll see Mox Opals or a lot of clunky three drops like Hullbreacher or Dak Faden. And those cards, they just, they're like, you know, they're like eight out of 10s. And I'd rather just cast the 12 out of 10s that just instantly win you the game rather than just <laughs> pushing towards a small advantage or a large advantage. Oh, yeah, I love that way of putting it. That's great. Um, I'm always surprised to see less than four preordained. I don't want to be so arrogant in that, like, oh my god, obviously you should play four preordains because the people playing less like don't know what they're doing. I don't play that much vintage, but it just does seem like such a great card in the format if you have the space. I guess is the main concern. But you've just said like these, as you said, eight out of ten cards perfectly. These filler cards like don't you don't need them, and I prefer to be doing my proactive plan to win the game rather than relying on these almost mid-range cards like punking people or like having this bit of utility like you don't need that if the opponent's dead i guess is the idea yeah one of the things that's also very different between vintage and legacy is the idea that tapping out really really matters in vintage like uh not holding up fluster storm or pyroblast is like a big disadvantage and that's why sometimes these cantrip style cards are a little bit more risky to play because you can't always just jam them on turn one if you only have lands and no moxen, holding up pyroblast because sometimes you need two or three pieces of interaction to stop your opponent from doing from whatever it is they're doing. And a lot of times, if your opponent gets to do what they want to do, they will just win the game. Yeah, that's very very fair. I def actually now now the vintage game is coming back to me where I'm like, okay, I've got two forces and three pyroblasts. Am I going to live the turn? Let's find out. So yeah, <laughs> definitely feel that. Which is makes like you know like focusing on tinker even more impressive like it has to be such a strong payoff to you know fight through these fluster pyroblast heavy kind of formats and metagames but the card just is so powerful that it's worth it and you you have this amazing sidestep where you know i mean how much worse do you think underworld breach would be if it was blue oh it'd be so much worse one of the reasons yeah. why we play underworld breach is because it's not blue and it's not an instant or a sorcery so it doesn't get flustered or pyroed so all you yeah, can so do you against just, it you is just really it. 
you punish the people that are holding up this two or three extra mana that aren't spending their mana on being proactive or like casting their cantrips because they probably do need to rightfully respect your tinker lines because again you, I guess you're playing all the tutors to find it but then you you just jam the the breach and they're just like well yeah like the, their interaction just doesn't line up yeah that, that's exactly how it felt for me too because in one of the eternal weekends i played the the sumer deck that's uh, I, I guess some ragawan pile and in the sidebar there was one hydroblast and i constantly wanted a second copy of, of hydroblast and one of the reasons was underworld breach because i would sit there i actually would have quite a bit of interaction but i couldn't really stop underworld breach uh, and the other option, uh, the other creature that really annoyed me, and I, I think you guys might know it, is, is the one that is basically Ragavan on steroids, but it, it draws from your own deck, kinda, and it grows while doing so. What's it called? Uh, Lelia. Uh, yeah, 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 that one. I, I, I want all the Hydroblasts in the world in Vintage, apparently. <laughs> I thought you were joking talking about Dreadhold Darkness then. I was going to make some snappy comment, but I'm glad I didn't. I didn't sound stupid. <laughs> no, that card is like 50 tickets. It got released in the Call Time Commander decks in paper. And it took them a long time to put onto Magic Online. And I know that in Legacy, there are a couple uh, mono-red stompy enthusiasts who are enjoying playing the card because it just grows really, really fast. And it provides a source of card advantage that that deck didn't really have for a while. Yeah, I played against it in paper as well. Like with a, well, it was a Thought Lash kind of deck and stuff. But again, you just have to like, the card is reasonable to play. Like, yeah, it kind of dies to bolt in its three mana. It's a bit of an awkward spot there, but if it starts to get going, it's going to get grow really fast and get you some card advantage. And then it's usually alongside some kind of combo, right? So for you, for like the, the decks that are playing in Vintage, you have Breach. So if you exile three cards with Breach, you're going to grow it, right? Yeah. Uh, a lot of times people just played it fairly as well because it's just like attack draw a card. And you, even the turn you play, you could like flip a Mox or something, which is pretty good. Uh, yeah. And one of the most important cards right now in Vintage anyway is is Urza's Saga, which uh, Legacy players should be familiar with. And that was the third sidestep in the deck that I won with. Because Julian was talking about all these forces and flusters and pyros, all these counter magics, and I play my land and I make two four fours and then you die. You know, that that's yeah. definitely something that happened more than once where my opponents were so prepared for me to combo that they just died to this super fair plan out of the deck. Yeah, that, that that saga thing that was so influential. Like I, I, I got usually get into vintage like once a year for eternal weekend, and people told me yeah, Tinker is super broken, and, and I agree. But to me, saga was basically as influential as as Tinker in in the sense that I felt like so many games were like so heavily dominated by saga. And like you mentioned, right, you would sit there, you had like all the counter matching the world, which used to kind of be a vintage thing, but then saga comes down and, and you feel really stupid like i i, I think i had some screenshots uh, i'm not sure if i posted them to twitter where i was literally sitting there with like three forces three fluster storms and and then the saga comes down and i'm like dude i'm just gonna die i'm just gonna roll over in a couple of turns here <laughs> it's like really bad yep and saga also brings back one of the classic vintage combos of uh time vault plus key these days it's manifold key because the flavor text on that card of making your creature unblockable actually comes up a couple of times but Urza Saga making key, essentially, you always have the key, and you sometimes oops into that combo, and that's how I won a couple of my early rounds against Dredge, is I just went, Mox, Saga, Time Vault, go, kill me, uh, or answer the Saga. <laughs> and they couldn't, you know? It just put a, this timer on the game that is so important against Dredge and those bizarre decks. I really, really love it. Like, I'm just kind of, I've got your list open, I'm staring at it, and it does, like, yeah, so you... Like people have just too much to respect, basically, and uh, so you have your graveyard combo, which is the the breach. Like that's again, like it's it's a but you need graveyard hate for it. 
because you, the flusters and the pyroblasts don't line up, as we said. Then you have the Tinker, which is like you either get Sinks of Steel Wind versus Dredge, or I guess you can say Bizarre decks in a, in a nutshell. And you then also you get... get Sphinx versus uh, Bug and uh, Rug as well, because they uh, have sure. very few answers to it. I guess they need to like um, dress down into something to get rid Vaguely, of it. yeah. And then both the Citadel for when, like, if you have lots of life or you just want to kill them there and then, I guess it, the the fail rate is pretty low with that. And then I guess yeah. if, you, if you have a uh, a saga, you can sometimes get time vault as well with a tinker. Like, it just seems like there's so many angles. And you're piecing this all together with like vampiric tutor, mystical tutor, motion scroll for things, demonic tutor, obviously. And then you are playing all the broken cards as well. You have all the fast mana. You have ancestral recall, time walk, like. This deck just, it just looks so strong to me, actually. Like, properly just, like, passing all the information. And then, then you have the other saga, if you, again, if you're, like, playing this, like, blue card show-off. So, the only thing this deck is missing, just take everything that's broken and throw it into a single deck at this point, is, is, is like, Ragavan, right? <laughs> it's it's kind of <laughs> yeah. crazy. This is, like, really, I want everything that's powerful. Uh, I guess it's kind of like the old PO approach. I always felt, like, a year ago when I played a Paradoxical Outcome, I, I just, like, had all the broken stuff in PO. And, and this deck does it without being as like niche combo-y as PO. I, I guess you still struggle quite a bit against Nyrod and, and stuff, but not as much as PO, I guess, because you also have like I, I guess PO uh, has also has Tinker. Actually, but why is this better than PO? Help me out. <laughs> uh, the card paradoxal outcome just kind of sucks. It's kind of clunky. It requires a lot of cards to work, and it kind of like is this self-fueling thing. Whereas this this deck is full of a bunch of one-card combos, basically. Uh, okay, okay, but let me interrupt you there. I mean, people say that the card XY set sucks, but apparently, like, PO used to be really good and used to destroy stuff, even though you say the card sucks. So, yeah, w- the, the what's the difference is now? A little bit more powerful. Like, you have. So, uh, the best card to tinker for has been Bolus's Citadel since it's been printed. The combination of Sensei's Divining Top and Bolus's Citadel gives you a. Uh, the best Yagmas bargain you've ever wanted. Yeah, that's pretty insane, right? <laughs> and that was the best thing that PO could do. It just took PO a while to win the game, and then as as the format got faster and more powerful, things got more clunky. And playing and you can't play Urza Saga as effectively in your PO deck because you don't want as many lands. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, oh, in yeah, that's deck. a good point. I think Justin Gennari had a pretty good take on an Esper PO list with uh, Splashing White for Mentor and Balance. But the the deck really just did fall off, fall off because cards like Mox Opal and things are just inherently inconsistent. Like the highs of PO are insane, but the lows are just like your your deck just doesn't function. That was kind of one of the attitudes we took to this deck is that there are no bad cards. Like the the two worst cards in this deck are Time Vault and uh, Brain Freeze. Everything else like is a good card, basically. I guess like Manifold Key is sometimes not a great card. And so we, we took that, pro- that that concept, and you kind of see it everywhere. Like, we're p- playing 14 artifacts, 14 or 15 artifacts, and zero copies of Tolarian Academy. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that's another thing that I'm not seeing here, true. Yeah, that card's inconsistent. Sometimes it makes a bajillion mana. Other times it's like, man, I, I have this land that doesn't tap for anything. And there's also nothing to spend infinite blue mana on in this deck either. So that, that was, we just played on another island because i think the expected case for academies it makes one or two mana and how much does that matter versus having a consistent island against decks that play strip mine wasteland and uh four ghost quarters and yeah, that, that's really common as well right yeah so okay okay i can see that because i i'm never buying the idea of something is more consistent because that's that's basically plus minus zero it's 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 more consistent but it doesn't really on average produce any other kind of results unless you tell me it's more consistent 
and on average also more powerful and that's that's what i'm getting out of this yeah i guess, I guess the the thing to look at like so again this is vintage uh like both both po and this deck are playing the tutors you're playing the the blue cantrips and card draw with recall and stuff um this one, like, like as Alex said, I can see it. The breach just costs less, and it sidesteps um, more counter spells than uh, the, the, the PO. Yeah, do. yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, I get P. I, I used uh, at least last year. I used to get PO'd like um, my, my my PO fluster stormed all the time. It was so annoying. yeah. I mean, the nice <laughs> thing is you can like end of turn one. Get you know it's going to get countered, untap, and they've had to use some resources on their end step. But generally, PO is just trading for a one mana card in post board games. I'd assume so. Yeah, I, I buy Alex's reasoning here. I, I kind of yeah. want to sleeve it. Want to sleeve it up now. <laughs> <laughs> Other cards like Hallbreacher and Narset also pretty negatively impacted the power level of PO. Like, imagine spending four mana to pick up your board and then giving your opponent like seven treasures. <laughs> That's fair. God, I played when you could play four Narset for a bit, and it was it was something. It was just. Uh, oh, it's oh wait, Narset is restricted in vintage. Yeah, yeah that's why oh. we're playing exactly one. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is the. It it was the only three drop that had a floor high enough uh, for us to play in this deck, of of like the Dax and Hull Breachers and all that. Yeah, it it can just single it can just solo games right in in the right spots and kind of pseudo mirrors, mm-hmm. or at least cut off a lot of a lot of avenues. It's so powerful. Yeah, and the floor of being double impulse is like still pretty high. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I love this one. I use it all the time, but it pitches to force as well. Like, come on. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think it's it's a very, very, very real part of like playing a card where you're like aminaring on and it, it does go through. You know what, what that used to be called? Like nobody uses that anymore. The keyboard um, for pitches to force. No, go on. You, you don't remember. You, you should remember that, Callum. Maybe you'll say it source. and I'll be like, oh my God. Have you never heard of the keyboard awesome? No. Okay, that, I didn't. I didn't to... look at the right parts of the source. <laughs> Maybe, but that that used to be a thing on the source. Like people would would sometimes just like mention, oh, and it also, it also has awesome, and that was <laughs> code for it is blue, quote unquote, uh, and like in brackets, so it pitches to force. So All people right. would just like short that too. The card is awesome. <laughs> I'm on board. I'm on board. Or has awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool, Alex. Why don't you um give us a bit of a rundown of. First of all, like some of the matches, especially like you don't have to go into details of every single one, but like give us some of the highlights, um, like kind of a rough estimation of what you played against and stuff. And did you have a good time? Obviously you won, so you had a good time, but like, you know, were the matches fun? What do you think? And what was, the, what was your perspective of the format as well? So I went into this tournament just like kind of playing it casually of like, eh, I'll see how how long it goes. Like it started at uh, 5 p.m. local time and, you know, these things, you know, end up going to 2, 3 in the morning. And I was like, eh, I don't know if I want to stay up that late. We'll see. Uh, so I start off against Dredge, which is not actually a great matchup. Uh, it's kind of spooky, like Force of Vigor is a terrifying card. And then I just like key vaulted them twice really quickly and skilled gamer. Yep. You know what? Just to, just to interrupt you very quickly. Whenever I've like done well in tournaments, I always have the same attitude and the same starts. It's really funny. Like it's the kind of ah, I guess I might as well and see how it goes. And then you kind of go into a bad matchup and you just nut draw. It's great. So yeah, <laughs> it's a good, it's a good start. Yeah, round two was less good. I played against uh, the one and only Anurag Das uh, playing the blue-red tempo deck. In game one, I just like kind of didn't do anything. My deck just fizzled. I put a Citadel into play at 13 life and then lost the game, which was unfortunate. Game two was like super close. And then there's a Ragavan. It happens to steal Ancestral Recall. And that's 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 the game. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> yeah, you, you thought Ragavan stealing your Brainstorm was brutal? Yeah. <laughs> Imagine if they didn't have to put two of those crits back. <laughs> uh. 
Nice. Uh, so, so I guess he he lucked out versus you there, as he always does. Classic Amex. Oh, yeah. Nice. yeah, that was my one loss the whole tournament. All my bad luck got used up there. I, nice. I got legacy real hard in vintage. Um, <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, uh, round three was Doomsday, where I killed them with my Ancestral uh, after it. they resolved Doomsday. Love it. They And then in game two, they resolved uh, an Ancestral uh, after resolving Doomsday, but then I uh, resolved a bunch of copies of Brain Freeze, and they had no deck. So, oh God, I that brings up memories of playing Legacy Breach, and then like people were playing Doomsday then, and you just held up Brain Freeze, and it just not, they couldn't do anything. Like, they had yeah. bail sometimes, but you just yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, you are pretty nostalgic for Breach, Callum. <laughs> I loved it so goddamn much. I, mean, I, mean, I can was, respect that. <laughs> it was it was horrifically broken and deserved to be banned. I'll I'll, I'll admit, but God, it was fun. Yeah, uh, not having four LEDs and four Lotus petals really brings down the power of reach in this format, I think. Uh, yeah, it makes sense, makes sense. And it's probably a safety net. I can imagine, well, if, if four of each either was legal, like a lot more broken things would happen, but yeah. yeah. I, so I guess, I guess you actually end up like DTing for LED or Black Lotus fairly often, I assume. Uh, we don't play Lions of Diamond because uh, you just yeah. have Black Lotus, which you can saga into play. That card's good, isn't it? Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, Black Lotus pretty good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there's also, we have a dress down in the deck, which is supposed to be good against hate bears and also is good against the card thoughts as oracle oh yeah um, so that that's it's also good versus all the saga contracts uh that your opponents make i guess because uh, i saw that you have like that and hercules recall is just kind of i guess uh dt vamp kind of targets just to get you out of horrible situations yep and you can you can also uh merchant scroll for uh oh yeah for the recall yeah for the recall which is really really good against shops uh yeah. one of the primary motivators Round four, I played against another legacy specialist, uh, Wonder Pro, playing Oops All Spells. I kind of like countered his Belcher, and then one was Saga in the first game, and this, this, the second game, I ancestral my opponent again uh, with an empty <laughs> library. So, <laughs> what is with this? You're gonna have like, <laughs> you're gonna end up like you've cast more recalls than your opponents. Uh that that. You're, you're you're really upsetting Marcus Ewald right now. <laughs> I think that's actually a real thing. Like I remember, like watching coverage last year, or actually no, I, I produced coverage last year. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and like people talked about that quite a bit when I talked to them about like the the Doomsday matchup against this and that, and the the concept of trying to play around Ancestor Recall on on your Doomsday pile was like a real big thing, and people really went out of their way to play around that. Uh, it's, so yeah, I guess it's really it easy these days. What you do is you just make sure you have an extra blue mana floating, and then one of the ancestrals resolves. You draw a fluster storm. You fluster the second ancestral, and then you win the game. Easy, just have it. Yeah, but no, yeah. Uh, vintage doomsday is uh, yeah. doomsday on easy mode. Yeah, with gush and black lotus and ancestral recall. Uh, you, you can go off with just like a card draw, right? You just gush into yeah. lotus and recall. Yeah, yeah. As, as soon as you draw the first card in your pile, it's over. Should Sweet. be anyway. Uh, so round five was uh, the Jeskai control deck. Game one, I like get a s super grindy game and just like oops into a key vault win. Game two, there's like a big fight early on, and then you just grind out a breach win. Uh, so basically, like Jeskai is the quintessential stop your opponent from winning the game, but then you have nothing to win the game yourself. Like taking that long to win the game, like your opponent's going to eventually do something broken again. Yeah. And you, especially with all your different angles, you're not going to run out of broken stuff in this deck. Absolutely not, no. Round six was a pseudo-mirror against some sort of Lelia Tinker deck where they force of will my Hercules recall that was trying to clear their tokens, and then I resolve Tinker, so that was pretty good. In game two, they have a fast Tinker. Game three, I have a 
turn one Saga and Sensei's Divining Top, and then I find a Lotus and win with Breach. That's nice. Uh, you know, pretty pretty standard stuff just of just standard like stuff. I guess again, like, dancing just, around different just, wins. You just like throw so many things in people's faces, and it's like first of all answering like, do you have the right interaction? And then yeah. do you have enough? And then yeah, again, you're just doing so many powerful things. If they don't have the stuff to line up, it's just probably going to be lights out. Yeah, countering Underworld Breach or countering Key Vault is actually kind of hard because the only counter spell that targets those is the Force of Will. Yeah. And the four Hydroblasts when I'm playing the side part. <laughs> <laughs> There's usually not, not that many Force of Negations either, and Force of Negation is not great in Vintage because one of the primary targets for Force of Will being Ancestral Recall, you can do that on their turn in their upkeep before they have three mana. So yeah. It's funny how different, like in Legacy, a lot of the, like almost all the combo decks are their own turn, main phase, because that's just how... The, the combo decks work generally but yeah in vintage they don't necessarily combo you at instant speed but like they have so much interaction themselves and they can resolve powerful cards like recall as exactly as you say or dig through time perhaps and stuff like that that they can play this grindy game to then build up more interaction than the control decks and then just pick their spots so like what, yeah. what i play a combo deck what is your combo ancestor recall <laughs> i mean yeah <laughs> i cast yeah. it to resolve so i won the game was, oh yeah, sweet I, I gotta try that Sometimes you just like cast Underworld Breach, rebuy Ancestral two or three times. I was just about to say the same thing. I was like, Breach is just amazing as a value card as well, because I noticed there's no uh, Jogmos Will in here. But I guess you're just breaching and like, yeah, playing a recall, or like if they've counted your key or time vault, I guess you bring it back. And Or Tinker, it just represents like value slash combo in multiple ways, or you just have your like uh, brain freeze as well. Like it, it can do a lot of things. Yeah, a lot of times when you're just like, oh, I'll like value a uh, breach, get an ancestral or two, and you're just like, oops, I win the game now. Yeah. Which is really nice. Um, yeah. Yeah, Yagwil has a very, very low floor of doing nothing. And this deck is not really built to take advantage of it. That's that's what I've noticed with the card as well. Um, obviously, it's like super broken in some decks. And it's one of these classic vintage cards, which it actually I actually thought of it when you explained your reasoning for Notalaran Academy, which I love this because... Both of them are super flashy. When they're broken, they're horrifically broken. They win the game on the spot in like such a big, flashy way. Like, oh my god, I'm going to tap my land that came into play untapped for 10 mana. Or like, you're going to will and like recast your Lotus because you used to cast that and then do all the things and cast all the spells. But like, you don't need to overkill people. You just need to win. And so I can see like the floor being much more of a concern than the ceiling of cards if you already have your game plans in place. This is, this yeah. is like we talked about earlier, right? This almost feels like no bad cards, vintage pie. <laughs> yeah, playing playing bad cards and pet cards is a great way to lose uh, games of Magic in 2021. Stop looking at me. <laughs> uh, I'm not even sure, like, what what would, you, would your pet card be, Callum? Is, is this a painter or, or something completely unplayable? Wow, painter's not a pet card. Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay, no, no. Okay. How, do I, how do I get off this podcast? This is disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could just talk about round seven. Uh, round seven was fun because <laughs> yes, uh, I, I, you know, you know, key vault them game one and then in game two, I hard cast Sphinx of the Steel Wind. Nice. I love that shit. <laughs> my my phone was a little bit salty these- in chat, but, you know. Hardcasting Sphinx is great. That just makes it all the sweeter. Like, you know, yeah, some people like salt. There we go. That's awesome. What were, what were they on? Uh, they were playing um, a four-color control deck with like Oko and Ren and Six and some black cards like Deathrite Shaman. Right. Imagine yeah. playing Control in Vintage. Yeah, you know, Legacy Bangers, a bunch of fair cards. <laughs> uh, yeah. As Brian Koval put it, I didn't come to play Vintage to play Tarmogoyf. Do something better with your three mana than Oko. I felt that. I, I last I didn't play any of the Eternal Weekends this year because I was busy and moving and doing things. But last year I 
was like gearing up to play bug in one of them and i actually just didn't play because i had the same thing i was just like uh i know like i died to time Golf in vintage but i'm not gonna play it in vintage it's funny <laughs> you mentioned that like um i'm not gonna name him but a friend of the podcast played Buck last year in Vintage, and he actually ended up losing to basically Legacy Fs. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, no, wasn't it Elves with, um, like, Archdruid? Elvish Archdruid? Yeah, yeah, it, it yeah. was more like modern Elves, even. <laughs> yep, yep, that was great. <laughs> Shout out to, to our friend. <laughs> I, I think he, he was, like, really sad about it, so I, I'm pretty sorry. I, I, it was just, like, hilarious, and I'm still going to bring it up every now and then. <laughs> yeah, he's a great guy. He posted on Twitter, if I remember, so it's not too bad. But Yeah, yeah. James, we are sorry. <laughs> anyway moving on <laughs> so yeah, in round eight i played against hollowvine which if you're not familiar with vintage it's very very different than the traditional dredge deck i don't actually know if it plays any cards with the word dredge on them but it's still a four bizarre deck and then the only other lands in the deck are a couple of wastelands for reasons that'll become clear in a moment but it plays cards like squee goblin nabob and uh Kravik and horror when it's not bugged and the mh2 card master of death which all basically just rebuy themselves from the graveyard to your hand so that you make your bizarre activations really, really free. You play cards like uh, the eight uh, Root Wallows and Hollow One, Vengevine. You have these really, really fast starts and a lot of pitch counters. Uh, like, for example, in game one, I got my Ancestral Recall misdirected. That that kind of sucked. <laughs> um, see, so I see, lost this, that game. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is my favorite deck in the format. I think it's actually just like Delva. Is yeah. the best way to think about it. Like you play your fast, cheap, aggressive threats in obviously hollow ones and Boston root water and stuff, and then you have these counters which you will run out because you are, you know, you lose some card advantage on on all the pitch spells, which you do regain with the squeeze and stuff. But you are trying to just get over the line with your with your threats. So if you look at vintage decks, one of the things that you'll notice is that there's a lot of like pithy needle effects in them, and that's that's specifically to name bizarre Baghdad. That's yeah. why there's one in the main deck, one in the sideboard. The Alpine Moon is splash damage between Urza Saga and Bazaar Baghdad, and also the Tabernacle on Pendle Vale. That's specifically for the Bazaar decks, because they most of the time they don't have the mana to pay for all their stuff, so it's just a, a land wrath that makes it through all their stuff, and that's why they have to play the Wastelands in response. Makes sense. Uh, yeah, Bazaar doesn't make mana, which is great. That That's how I won the match, was I needled their Bazaar, and then... Uh, one was Saga and Tabernacle. Nice. That deck is just like so absurd. It, it, like Carlo mentioned, right? It, it kind of plays out. Because I, I played it as well like quite a bit last year. It plays out like a Delva deck almost, like a tempo deck. But it really feels like you you take a completely different card game with like completely oh, different yeah. mechanics. And you just like, you, you load it up in Vintage and you're like, oh yeah, I, I can also <laughs> play this in Magic. You know, I, I just like a draw and discard cards and they come into play and they attack i never spent mana on anything but this is this is how we do it in this other game that somehow is compatible with magic as well <laughs> yeah bizarre baghdad is just not a reasonable magic card <laughs> no it, it, it is the only it's the only way you, like these kind of things can make sense but the deck is beautifully horrific it's just like uh, i i remember playing like uh that that scarecrow like because it was all the colors as well just as like a pitch card so you play these like five... oh Reaper king Reaper King, that's the one. You play these like five colored cards, and because it's just they pitched everything. So you have all the forces. You have like Sickening Shoal, Force of Negation, Force of Will, um, Force of Vigor. And then yeah, I guess, all I the... guess some could have Fury now as well, I guess. Yeah, Fury and Grief are just insane pickups for these bizarre decks. <laughs> yeah. Being yeah. free creatures. Like, creature spells are nuts in these decks. God, and then Vintage Vine. Yeah. Yeah. I just love oh, like, <laughs> how broken Vintage is with regards to basically every single aspect. For as much as we trash talk Tarmogoyf, it's still like a strategy that people do and sometimes win stuff with it. I just love that somehow for 
as broken mm -hmm. as it is, it's still like held together and doesn't completely fall apart. Like, <laughs> like when's the last time Vintage really completely fell apart and became almost utterly unplayable? I don't, I don't even remember that. No. I think it was the Mystic Forge card in the Great Creator era where oh, you got oh, yeah. to play four of each of those cards, which is just absurd. <laughs> yeah, true. Like looking back at that, that was definitely broken. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 not broken. That was like I, I want to get that, off the ride. Let me off. Yeah, I think Vintage players also have a very high tolerance level of variance and just vaguely bullshit of things that happen because it's like you're playing vintage there's going to be some nonsense afoot and that's kind of how you have to look at it and uh yeah, going I, into I, these I've later rounds yeah um I, my mindset had shifted away from ah, i'm just playing this for fun there might be some bullshit too my deck's just better than everybody else i'm just better than everybody else here uh <laughs> you know um so naturally in round nine i get paired into one of the vintage legends uh discover and playing doomsday Ooh. Oh, the end boss himself yeah. And so, if, so, if anyone that, anyone <laughs> listening that doesn't know Discover and just give a quick like uh, who they are or what, why are they so scary? They don't lose with Doomsday. That's yeah. just, that's, that's basically <laughs> yeah. what happens. Yeah. Um, I think they have like the most challenge and high big event wins, and Justin tracks all their stuff, and they just have the highest win percentage as well potentially. Yeah, I think Something Justin like that, like yeah. last year when he came on the podcast, he gave us a rundown of, rundown of vintage and. Then he introduced us to Discover, and who's just like the person who never loses and always <laughs> plays Doomsday. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Discover N was 8-0 at this point. I was 7-1. So I believe they were locked for top 8. And I might have been in with a win. Uh, it's not clear. Uh, but I just opened on the nuts in game 1 and like have turn 2 Citadel and counter his Doomsday and eventually just like Citadel into Key Vault and win. Uh Game two was super interesting. Like, I keep this super defensive hand of uh, a bunch of counter magic and saga with a tinker. And then my opponent vamp tutors. And then on my upkeep goes dark ritual opposition agent, which is just wild. And then there's a massive stack battle that I win. The opposition agent is countered. And then I just kind of, like, eke out the game with uh, my cards. Damn. So you did the impossible. I did the impossible, yeah. That was that was a great moment of just like, man, I made top eight. Let's go. Three more <laughs> matches. <laughs> and That's beating and beating like Discover and already. So you're just yeah. like, yeah, basically one. They cool. actually bleed. Like that, that that's <laughs> yeah, you, like, you you look God at the slain bleed. body of Discover and you're like, <laughs> it's actual blood. <laughs> yeah, I, I felt like I drew like top one percent hands. That was that was <laughs> one of those moments of just like, yeah, this tournament's going well. Nice. So I was telling everybody that I was hanging out with in between rounds, there's three more rounds of this thing, let's go. Mm -hmm. uh, in the quarterfinals, I play against a four-color control deck. They resolve an ancestral recall. They have like some sagas that are big. They have a monkey, and then like I don't know, I just win because they didn't kill me <laughs> fast enough. <laughs> because uh, they're a control deck in vintage. Yeah, I, I, nice. I, I breached back a win. They just didn't have an answer to it. Maybe their hand was like all fluster storms or pyros or something. In, the, in game two, I got to resolve a Gitaxian probe, which that card is still legal in vintage. Oh yeah, um, not as a four of, but uh, I see. Two, two, two endurances and a, an ethereal forager, which that's a X legacy card. Wow, yeah. Um, but it was just a hand that, like, I played Urza Saga, and Urza Saga won the game. Yeah, they're, they're not going to do much there. I guess your yeah. your your tokens are just like going to grow out of like three four range pretty fast as well. Yeah, basically they were so prepared to beat my breach hand that they didn't beat my fair hand, and that that's kind of what happens is you just juke the hate with a different plan. Yeah, I mean, what I'm getting from a lot of these uh, like quick rundowns of the matches is like you're obviously playing incredibly well, and you have to to do well in this thing. But you're getting rewarded for the deck building in a lot of spots as well. Like here, um, they probably very rightly bring in endurance, and then you're just like, okay, well, I'm not going to use my graveyard, and uh, I bet this came up a lot, right? 
yeah, that's one of the reasons why Brian didn't want me to post the list despite winning everything was, you know, mm -hmm. you got all the tricks in there. You don't want to show it off. And Brian still had two more tournaments to play. Totally. Uh, totally. <laughs> totally makes um, sense. So didn't you, uh, didn't you even play the other ones? Where like, oh, I won. This is good enough. I'm out. Uh, uh, the, the second one started before the first tournament ended. <laughs> okay. uh, I think I was in the middle of my semifinals match or playing the finals when the second tournament started. Alex, you're just, uh, sorry, guys, I'm too busy winning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then the third one, I was just like, I'm exhausted. My sleep schedule is borked. I'm not going to play the third one. Um, I don't know if many people would, like, after winning one and going through the whole thing as well, I guess some could do the third, but I don't think it's, you know unusual to not want to do the others you've got you've yeah. got a pretty good prize already <laughs> yeah, you yeah. just kick back you order food and and then you have a great time yeah yeah that's why i did watched some people win some matches that was pretty good yeah semifinals was holobine again um have a ball the five probe and sexual them and then uh have saga to needle their bizarre and then put a swing to the steel one into play so that was pretty good nice uh, in the DM2, I got crushed by a couple of hollow ones, which happens, you know, sometimes they just hollow two or hollow three you, and <laughs> it's a lot of power on turn one. Yeah. Very hard to beat. Um, and then uh, in game three, I, you know, do some soul ring, key vault shenanigans, uh, fluster a force of vigor. You gotta play around mind break trap in that matchup. That's a card that they play. I know that that's a card that uh, most of the time you don't think about, but sometimes you do hold back spells in that matchup specifically the player on force of vigor mm -hmm. yeah it makes sense i mean, like it's the little things the little sequencing things where they could be so hardly punished by like yeah you're you're there's that classic meme of like do you overextend into terminus or underextend into uh, sword snap swords but here it's like do you overextend into force of vigor or do you underextend and then get like blown up by mind brick trap so I guess even from turn one, you've got to like think about how turns three and four, or even onwards, are going to go with these kind of things. Yeah, in, in Vengeance, the interaction starts immediately. Like, yeah. there is threat to end the game on turn one. It doesn't always happen, but and there's threat, and there's also threats to stop you from winning the game as as early as turn one. It's not to sixteen, like minus a second. Yep. <laughs> which brings us to uh, the finals, the which final. is Blue Black Tinker, which is the Power Nine deck. Very good friend. Very good player. This this is a deck that is vaguely the antithesis of what Bryant and I put together with four hull breachers and actual factual time time twister. God, yeah. So so it's like yeah, yeah. A, a twister combo deck, but I guess also tinkering, obviously. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, by the way, to interrupt you, you, I think you mentioned a good friend of yours in the finals, right? I think the name is Anas, uh, underscore uh, Petty underscore. Yeah. So uh, that that's who my opponent was. Uh, the person who innovated this archetype is the Power Nine. I just wanted to. I just want to bring up that because that's <laughs> like something we try to do. We we want to shine at least a little bit of more light on on the people that that actually do well because that's just like a thing, right? People say, "Oh, this deck made the finals," and and then you always forget about who actually like who was the person who played it. Yeah. So it was it was a really interesting match. Uh, it's three a.m. for me. I'm, you know, adrenaline's going. I'm exhausted. There's plenty of caffeine going through me. Uh, game one is an easy breach one. Uh, game two, the deck just kind of falls apart. Doesn't really do anything, and they just like have a pair of like seven seven constructs that kill me i was about uh, to say winning game one must be like yes we got this the, the adrenaline's even going harder and then you go yeah. straight into oh shit game two <laughs> yeah the, the deck just fell apart it just didn't do <laughs> yeah, anything which yeah. was you know the thing we were trying not to do it's like man deck you're doing this to me now <laughs> yeah yeah it's like of all times like can't you just wait until the friendly match yeah so game three was super interesting uh i keep kind of like this hand that has a bunch of mana and a force of will and a time walk um 
I Alpine Moon their Saga, put a Vault into play, I Force a Will theirs. Uh, at this point, they have five cards to mine zero. And then they tap out for Urza. Like, actual factual High Lord Artificer. I'm I mean, like, all right, I, I, mean, I love this, them for that. That's matter. awesome. But, <laughs> oh, poor Urza. How can you do this, Alex? Like, yeah. trying to play a sweet pet card. Which which the game doesn't end there. Uh, okay. uh, I draw a card. It's like a Flusterstorm. I pass back. I've, I've probed them at some point in the sequence, so I know that their hand is like uh, an unplayed saga, a polluted delta, and a dig through time. They don't have much of a graveyard built up at this point, so they tap a bunch of mana, leaving one mana, one land untapped. And then they play the dig through time, and I like snap off the fluster, at, oh, which yeah. doesn't work because they have two artifacts to pay with Urza. You know, mm-hmm. that's 3 a.m. thoughts. <laughs> I uh, guess Silver Lining gets tapped down a bit, but yeah. Yeah, which, and it ended up working out. So I, I drew, I had Key Vault on the next turn. They, they, their dig, I guess, picked up Hercules Recall and Force of Will. And I drew Pyro for turn to Pyro their uh, Hercules. They force my Pyro. I pick everything up. I put it all back down and take infinite turns and win the tournament. Nice. So I guess, yeah, they even drew two pieces of interaction, kind of, and still didn't matter. Yeah. I guess, the, yeah, that's the, the saga coming in of like always having that key as well. Yep. Yeah, cool. it was an insane tournament, just buzzing for weeks. Uh, yeah, Vintage is super fun. Uh, I don't think I could play it as my main format. There's too much nonsense that happens but it's it's fun to dip in every once in a while yeah i totally uh, get that I, I especially that... when other formats are less fun branching out into other formats is super fun actually that leads us into one of our um listener questions because the the people on our discord actually submitted a couple of those the first one comes to us from tom the decker and he's asking about your general thoughts on vintage like how for example modern horizons impacted the format i guess if you don't really play it all that often there's there's not too much to say about it um but if you have some thoughts on that definitely share it with us and he's also asking whether you consider sleeving up dark ritual in vintage because of your your experience with that and specifically legacy right so did you ever yeah. consider something like like uh, <laughs> he, he's thinking of DPS? I, I know it is like TPS, the perfect storm. What, what is DPS in Vintage now? Is it Dark Petition? Oh, Dark Petition Storm, I guess. Yeah, so uh, MH2 obviously made a huge impact in, on Vintage. Uh, like you, you've heard me talk about a bunch of MH2 cards throughout the entire night, specifically Urza Saga, Ragavan, uh, Dressdown. There's the Hate Bears deck that has a couple of MH2 cards in it. But it, it obviously like really pushed the format in a really interesting way. I think Saga is really fun. I think Saga is a great card for Vintage. I think Dressdown is a really cool interaction piece. Ragavan, Ragavan does Ragavan things. And I think in, in Vintage it feels less bad to have stuff stolen because there's such a high power level on everything that it's like, oh yeah, this, this nonsense happened and then it's a story. Uh, whereas in Legacy, like, ah, oh, man, it sold my ponder is not as much of a story as it is in Vintage. Uh, that being said, I think Ragavan has a higher power level in Vintage because there are more cards to steal. There's just more broken one-ofs to steal, so you're more likely to hit a broken one-of. It's also just really, really bad versus Bizarre and, like, medium against shops, so as expected. Uh, in terms of Dark Petition Storm, I was never going to play that deck. That deck is really really bad it's very underpowered i don't i i I never considered it uh i thought about playing doomsday for half a second that was the closest i got to playing dark ritual internal weekend okay okay i mean (laughs) in the end it definitely paid off for you yeah uh dark edition storm just has not aged well like there there are better things to be doing with your tinkers and your dark rituals basically is what's happened 
Cool, cool. <laughs> I'm sorry for that. Tom always like try, tries to rejuvenate some archetypes that don't really see a lot of love in uh, whether it's legacy or vintage. And yeah, I think on this podcast, you always end up shooting him down, like all his hopes and dreams. <laughs> it's like, sorry, dude, that we, I we think can't really do that anymore. Realistically, the Dark Ritual deck of Vintage is Doomsday now. Like, yeah. it's just it. I mean, that's what it is in Legacy too, but yeah. I was I was about to say that, and I was like, <laughs> no, nah, the Epic Storm is actually pretty good as well. I mean, yeah, it's good, but it's, it's, it's <laughs> not but Doomsday. No, it is, yeah, the, the most popular Doomsday deck. The most popular Doomsday deck is Dark Ritual, or the other way around, some kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> uh, another question coming to us from Testacula. Uh, Alex, you s you've seemed to be enjoying other formats than Legacy lately. What's your favorite format right now? Which format provides you the most exciting games? And also, are you coming to Legacy tonight at our LGS? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So Testacula is another uh, Portland local to me. Uh, nice. Great guy. I've really been enjoying Modern a lot, playing Hammer Time specifically. It's super fun. The games feel uh, really enjoyable. The format's wide. It's revolving. There's constant change. Uh, it's not this stagnant mess of a format. I've also started picking up Popper recently, playing the Cycle Storm deck. That deck's been really, really fun. That, that's definitely it. Dark Ritual deck. I'm Except shocked you the play worst. Storm and Pauper. Absolutely <laughs> shocked. Like. Yeah, I mean that Dark Ritual is the worst ritual in that deck by a pretty clean margin. Do you? Um, I guess I guess it's Songs of the Damned is the deck. Yeah, yes. Songs of the oh Damned. Oh my god, that card is my number one card for the most broken card that's like missing something that makes it obscenely broken. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know if you've ever made ten mana or twenty mana out of one black mana, but it's uh pretty powerful. I've played it in Legacy. Uh, I've played uh, Cycling Storm <laughs> in Legacy, and I've gone like. Two, three in a couple of leagues. It's it's very, very untuned, um, but it's it's what I usually play when I'm finishing a stream and getting a bit drunk. It's really yeah, uh, one <laughs> of the newer cards uh, that was printed in Crimson Vow, uh, Repository Scab, which is uh, three and a blue for a 3-3 three, three with Exploit, which is the mechanic from Carnes of Tarkir that says, as this creature enters the battlefield, may sacrifice a creature. And then there's usually a triggered ability, and it's just a, an Archaeomancer to rebuy Indents or Sorcery of your graveyard. So you can play the play repository scab, get back your songs, or get back your reaping the grave, which is the three mana storm uh, disentomb. Oh, reaping uh, the grave is such a great card as well, which is very powerful. That that's a great cabal ritual deck. That that's where you should be playing your cabal rituals. <laughs> yeah, when 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 you're saying like you know, um, so before we was it, is it the beginning of the episode or the one that we weren't recording, like saying you know don't sleep up your cabal rituals, <laughs> put them in the folder. Yeah. I'm going crazy now. So I like mid so again i'm in this new flat and i've got cards all around me because i've taken this opportunity to like properly sort stuff out and get it all organized and i've been going making the piles of like modern era cards and older cards and i found the cabal rituals in one of like the most back kind of pockets of cards as well like it's obviously not been played for a long time poor things so i think next lds night is going to be put it in something to give it some love just to spite you alex I think I'll play the Peer into the Abyss deck, maybe. That's fine. And uh, the LGS situation in Portland just got complicated, so it's going to be unclear. But uh, Testacular knows that. Yeah. So I guess I guess everywhere, like, so for us, we are about to, like, you know, get hit with probably more lockdowns. We don't really know. Everything's all getting pretty bad. So who knows where. I've just cancelled our monthly tournaments for, like, the last one was meant to be a week ago. I cancelled that, and then january we shall see but yeah anyway quite a tangent <laughs> we've got a couple more questions yeah <laughs> this one's coming from franco boli alex how did you prepare for eternal weekend what magic mindset uh you know like strategy or play patterns do you have that differs from the normal okay that that that's quite a loaded question that's like 
you you are doing something <laughs> different from everybody else. What is it? Or do you even do that? So like I said, in the two weeks learning up to Eternal Weekend, I just played vintage, you know, played random decks, didn't really put too much stock in anything. Uh, got used to what the format was about, what it was like. Uh, talked to a lot of people. There was like a whole t testing team of people. Like I talked to uh, Brian Cook, uh, Wing Tassar, uh, S063, uh, I believe is also an Eternal Weekend Vintage Champion. There was like a couple of people, you know, futzing around with various things. I and... saw that guy beat Brian in the finals in paper. <laughs> and kind of going into the tournament, I was like, eh, I'll play for fun, see what happens. You know, I, I bought this God account, might as well use it on on one of these events and have fun. And then I started winning and then, you know, the mindset shifted. It shifted from, oh man, what am I doing? And to combat the the stress was just like, I I adopted this, you know, gung-ho attitude of, I'm just better than everybody. My deck's better than everybody's. You know, I have the best deck in the room. Nobody can beat me. You know, just, just taking that as fact and building my own confidence, which might sound arrogant in the moment, but that's how I calm myself down of just being like, oh man, am I good enough? Am I good enough? No, I'm clearly just good enough. Like, what, it's only what arrogant else? if you think it's arrogant. If you're <laughs> yeah. truly convinced that you have the best deck and that you're better than everybody else, then that's that's fine. I mean, that's not what I do in every single tournament I want to win. There's a special it, place between, you know, you do, you do need that confidence. So you need to like internally believe in yourself and believe that you're better than the other people to beat them. But then you like there's a very very fast slippery slope people can fall down where they like start expressing that too much and when they start saying, oh, I'm better than everyone to like say it out loud and everyone's just like rolling their eyes. Like, even if it's kind of true, it's like... Yeah, the, the <laughs> moment you, you start caring about getting recognition from other people for what you do, like you, you drift down mm -hmm. the, the, the lane of arrogance, right? But if you if you just like do what you do and it's amazing, then then that's... It, I don't know where I'm going with that, but I, <laughs> I, I think it's it's something you can really tell in people when you when you watch them play and you really notice that they care a lot about like what everybody else thinks about them and they want to be perceived as this like super powerful strong player and usually it just comes off it like oh my god this is this is a bit so when, when, when we got to play paper more i think the, the players that if i don't know the person at all and i go and sit down the players that scare me by far the most are the ones that kind of they just they're calm and quiet and don't say too much and like they just kind of show this kind of they sit down and they're very comfortable and confident in themselves at like just playing this game the ones that start off like telling you like you know how they beat their last opponent last round and stuff i'm immediately thinking ah, i probably i might have an upper hand here because, <laughs> <laughs> so this is how it plays into it like yeah i'm trying to remember kind of what what was like playing against you the first time and i was in fucking Prague terrified i i was like a nobody and then I fucking fought, bolted you game one, crushed you. I was like, oh my God, am I going to beat Julian? Nah, you just choked me in and stuff. Yeah. Was it like that? I don't even remember. I, I remember, I, I can't tell you exactly where we sat at that GP. And... I, I, yeah, I remember very yeah. well. I, I stole game one. I was on like four color Delva with, I was like, probes yeah, and I didn't and even notice, races. I think, or something. <laughs> and then I do remember at the after game three, I think I was like stuck on a mana short and I showed you Fire Covenant game three after you won. <laughs> And you're like, oh my god, red dragon! And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was like a manner of casting it and just like wrecking your whole board. It's the scariest card in the history of Legacy. Good times, fucking fire covenant. That card was so sweet. But yeah, Alex, you were gonna tell us about some some something PTQ related. Yeah, sorry, Alex. We just yeah, no, it's just like sweet when you sit down cards. across from people that have all their PTQ mats and their pins across the top of it. It's like, all right, someone someone's trying to prove something, and you know, you're just gonna sit there calmly and play the game. 
Says, says the guy with none. Well, I don't. Thing is, people, <laughs> the thing is, with people who do that, I, I'm like, that's even like a level below where I, I, all of a sudden I feel like, oh, that, that that's cool, right? That's that's just like some minor stuff that I mean, I mean, I say, okay, that's arrogant if I say minor stuff, but that's to you, that's actually something that really means something to them. They got like, you got mm. people that have these these F and M champion playmats, and that's not something I really look down on because, I mean. I, I, I don't know that comes across as like very genuine to me but there's there's something in between between the people who like are juggernauts and you yeah, you I, can I, tell without knowing and and the people who just like really enjoy the local success there's like this mid-tier of of mm-hmm. like tryhards i guess uh that that really care about that oh i'm 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 supposed to be on the pro tour but i i just didn't make it yet like that's, it's okay to not make it i think i think we're talking about a very very small section of people so if anyone's getting the wrong idea it's because i think what we're saying can come across as very arrogant itself as well so they're not meaning the people that are you know like doing an accomplishment is great like you know people have different expectations some people want to be the world champion and there you go you have have your dominguez some people want to win their game day and if they achieve it that's fantastic but yeah there is a small subsection which is there's this amazing like kind of meme graphic i think like lsv posted a few years ago <laughs> there was like uh i think a uh a chart charting where someone starts off and you know top eights and ptqs and they're happy with it and then it just like dunks off down to the abyss. Like it's it's the pleasantness uh, thing. At the very bottom, they're the most unpleasant when they're like P2Q grinders or GP day tours. And then it like goes right back up to the, to the top again when they're like, you know, pro tour regulars and they're just kind of content. That's with spot on what I'm referring to. That's the, that's <laughs> yeah. the section of your magic career where people usually become the most unpleasant. And I know that because I've been there, right? I, I think mm-hmm. I was insanely unpleasant for, for a while after I won the South Mox and because I was like, oh yeah, now, you know, now I'm going to start like grinding right. PTQs and, and this is like this <laughs> two-day tournament magic thing. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to be kick-ass. I'm going to be really good. I want to stand there, up. Or like still here? Or? Yeah, maybe I still am. I don't know, but I, 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 when I look back, that was like eight years ago. I, I can definitely tell that that was me at the time, and yeah, I'm not proud of it. But yeah, yeah I, I, believe... I, I often see it reflected in other people as well. Where once they like, not, not not everybody who does that, but I've seen it with other people in the past, and they've also gotten out of it. And it's it, you really only start noticing it, I think, once you've been like that. You, I believe the official term is grinder barnacle turd. <laughs> so alex when are you gonna be like that have you already adopted that? <laughs> i don't know uh it, you see it pop up all the time with people that are like super obsessed with like magic online rating like i i you know you you check it every now and then just to see what happens um and uh uh i think mine was like 1870 or something after the win and then it, it's it's quite back down into the 1750s 40s something like that you know learning new formats experimenting with new things it, it doesn't matter like yeah uh I think like have, the, the speaking, of, speaking of world champions, definitely like Javier has posted in one of the chats where in like he's posted a really low rating. He's like, like it doesn't matter. I've been like testing loads of shit standard decks for the world championship. Um, it's not a reflection of uh, the best you can do, especially because Magic Online doesn't pair by uh, the rating at all. So it's it's not even like super accurate like it could be in other games like chess. Yeah. Yeah, it's also like insanely volatile, right? Like the K yep. value is, is pretty high compared to like how volatile magic is as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that kind of leads me to another question coming to us from me, the Capitan. Uh, what other quote-unquote grail moments does Eternal Weekend champion Alex McKinley want in his MTG live to complement his Eternal Weekend win? Uh, I think it'd be nice to end up winning um, one of the showcase uh, qualifiers at some point. Like that'd be pretty cool. 
Yeah, but he's uh, not the I, one this weekend. <laughs> I, I'm not even qualified. Uh, I have not played Legacy super heavily in two months uh, or three months at this point. You know, I, I've top aided one. I went two two and another was playing in a car. So you know, the... <laughs> just just classic things. That's what you do, yeah. right? Uh, you know, but like those, those are super fun. They're really small fields where you get to metagame for specific people. Like the first one I played, I cut all my Rhydo Flames and played main deck uh, Carpet of Flowers nice. in like the trenches of the Oko Dreadhorde meta. I remember, I, I remember seeing this list people. and loving it, thinking this is like, yeah, this is what you need to do. Um, I've only played in one of these uh, showcase playoffs and I had such a good time as well because it's just a different experience and it does feel really special. Like it's super high stakes, but then it's it's so top heavy that like everyone below first is kind of like yeah whatever we tried so it's not like a feel bad of I came ninth on very very tight breakers just to just to cry a little bit me 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 but um like it just didn't feel bad it was like you know it's it's first or nothing so and then they're not they're not super hard to get into so if you if you want to try and keep trying enough then you'll probably get into another one yeah that's what I figured that'll happen eventually so like it's it's like kind of where I'd like to go is like win a legacy one maybe. Yeah, if the format becomes enjoyable again, you know, and then you get to play do the one of the playoffs that's streamed and stuff. Like the last one yeah. had Vintage Cube, one of the formats, which was really cool. Yeah, I think that that's what they've been doing is Modern and Vintage Cube, and I actually understand what Modern looks like now. So you know that'll be helpful. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> because yeah, I've been loving Modern as well. So yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, by the way, we, we, we at some point we should do a dedicated Modern episode because I've been hearing so many good things about Modern for like weeks or months now that I think it kind of warrants almost like an entire episode of its own. Like if, if you guys want to hear that, let us know on Twitter at EternalMTG. Let us know in the Discord because you you are the people we make it for, right? Um, For as much as I want to learn about modern, uh, yeah, that, let us know. If, I can if always you talk want about us to it. modern. I've been playing it since, well, I've been playing it through, like uh, since almost the beginning. I watched the first modern Pro Tour and I've just always played it because it was the most supported format in my local game stores. So I'd play it like once a week for years and, Last obviously the last couple of years couldn't play it, but yeah, I reckon my modern collection is as big as Legacy, so always down to chat yeah. it. It's weird, like it doesn't the modern format right now. If you just if you just took it without playing it much, I don't think it would look great. There's a lot of companions, like it feels like eighty percent companions. What? Um, like there's just so Lurus and Yorin. I actually have them on my desk right in front of me because they're part of my keep separate out of sorting piles. Um, they're just everywhere. But and a lot of it, but there's just a lot of interaction and trading and card advantage again matters in like you're trying to trade up and stuff on turns three and four. There's not that much snowbally stuff. I don't know, just yeah. There's also a lot of different decks, it just feels very fun to play. How often would you guys say you have comeback wins in Legacy? Mm. It used to be a lot <laughs> more common before yeah. like 2011, 12. Uh it still exists now. But if you if you fall behind, like you you can usually come back if you fall behind somewhat. But once you really are like down like two cards or something, and you're not playing like a combo deck that has some kind of like can't be countered ability built into it, it's really hard to come back by just like grinding it out. It's I guess I it's more I... common in decks that that are not playing brainstorm right because then they could be really like running into like let's say three lands in a row, which is not that common, but it can happen, and they will not be able to recover from that uh, unless the lands are like really a big deal and like that the game is constricted. But yeah, it, it definitely happens. Like I get where like what the, was implied because I d- I think you do come back in order more often. But um, yeah, I don't know. I was, I've been playing some. I played two leagues of eight cast in the last few days. 
legacy ones. And um, I had some really super grindy games where I thought I was out, and then uh, uh, whatever it's called, Thopter Foundry, especially just like somehow like single handedly off two mana ground out versus DNT and Blue Red Delver and. I don't know. I was kind of autopiloting, and then like ten turns later, like, oh shit, I'm actually still in this. Let's, let's go. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's hard to kind of quantify because you don't really. Th- I don't know how much you think about it in the time. But yeah, yeah, that was one of the main things that I noticed is that like in modern, like there were these games where either I came back from close to nothing, or my opponent came back from like being at one life and they stabilized, and I just couldn't close, and it was you mm-hmm. know this really engaging game where either I struggled to do the last point or like. You know, oops! Out of nowhere, here's a hammer. Get bonked. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think part of about that storm is... players going to mono white and other formats or something like that. <laughs> I, I would, I would, I think the best way to sum this up is I think this is one of the very few positive things I'll say about companions is I think they they are a big payoff for fair decks and modern is like at this just about okay power level and they've had this nerf of three extra mana which hits them just enough to kind of make them very good. Uh, but like they only go into these kind of slower grindy interactive decks. So you have Lurus going into like black red base decks, but there's like the kind of Grixis, either Shadow or not Shadow, is very good and popular right now. Yorion goes in the kind of elementals slash four color control as well with Planeswalkers and lots of removal. And Lurus obviously goes in Hammer as well. And these cards, like they're built to go into the mid game, right? You're not you're not contorting your deck building to then pay three mana to put a card in your hand and not cast. You're not trying to end the game within the first three turns, essentially, is what playing these cards are. So yeah, again, the games go late and they go into this mid to late game and you just have to have trading pieces. You have to have ways of building up card advantage. Even playing a deck like Hammer, which can technically win on turn two, you're still playing engines Wait, like... Hammer can win on turn two? What the fuck? Memnite. Yeah, if you go turn one, uh, turn one zero drop plus Sigardizade into turn two double hammer. Oh, oh, double uh, hammer. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's it's also a, one a in couple. Each it's like bam, ten, ten. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's also a couple of like Ink Moth Nexus openers where you could go Nexus Springleaf Drum Memnite okay, Sigardizade okay. untap, uh, activate yeah. your Ink Moth, put a hammer on it. Yeah. So. So I mean, there's a couple. It, that, that speaks volumes, though, right? Like this deck. I mean, turn two wins are pretty rare. And there is often quite a lot of interaction that just stops you in your tracks mm-hmm. as well. Um, turn threes are, yeah, obviously quite common as well. But again, I think this deck would be like, you know, this deck would like super punish if the format was heavy on decks without more interaction. Like if, I guess this is a kind of a hard punish for decks like Tron. Like, I haven't seen Tron in ages. Thank God. <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah, uh, this is like the, the gist of it I'm saying is I think the companions, even though some people may not like the gameplay or what they bring, I think they do help make modern a slower, more interactive format. And that's why we're starting to see a lot of legacy players kind of come out and be like, actually, I'm really enjoying playing this. So, yeah, yeah. Earth Companions are great. Cool. So maybe we're going to have a future episode where you guys can give me like a like a rundown of, of what's good in modern because Charis refused. No. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No, no, no. Charis was apparently like playing in some some high stakes modern thingy and he didn't, <laughs> like not that he didn't want to tell me, but I asked him to to make a video um, like he did for Vintage and Legacy where he made like a rundown of the top eight decks according to his opinion. Mm-hmm. And that's that's just like the kind of content I love. I think if you do it like short and sexy, like eight minutes and, and yeah, that, I would love to see something like that for modern, but maybe maybe you're going to brief me and then we're going to make that video. Cool. <laughs> okay, so moving on. One more question here from me, the Capitan. What's happening with the painting? So from what I know, it usually takes a lot of time for that for to arrive, but I guess since you're based in the US, it might... Supposedly the pricing team is supposed to reach out to me. I've, I've been talking with uh, the Moto team and they're trying to get me in contact with the 
surprising team. Supposedly they're supposed oh, to contact me this week, <laughs> uh, but I'm probably going to hang on to it for a while, take some pictures with it, hang out on my wall. Um, I don't know. I'm not super interested in selling it at the moment. Um, I don't really need the the, the hard cash. Uh, uh, job takes care of me quite well that way, but uh, it's just nice to have the trophy on the wall, you know? Yeah, if, if if you don't need the cash right away, right, it's it's something you, you can always look back on like, well, this this was my moment. Yeah, I think it's awesome to keep it if you yeah. can. It's also like a real part of history. I mean there's there, I think there's a website that keeps track of all the winners um of the of the paintings because it's just like something unique, something so spe so special and being part of magic history. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's actually really funny. Uh, <laughs> part of our sideboard plans and a lot of uh, the slower <laughs> blue matches was to board out Mox Emerald and that's the painting I won. Because uh, Mox Emerald is the most dead box, because <laughs> even Mox Pearl can sometimes <laughs> cast Sphinx of the Steelwind. Uh, but Emerald is truly just colorless Mox. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> cool, cool. So, yeah, um, this is one hour and 12 about vintage. We initially had planned 30 minutes, yeah, but you know, when, when you get carried away with a format, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I had a really good time in vintage. I had a really, really good time. Like, I, I scrapped out of both events. I, I did really well in the lead up to it, but then, yeah, once it came to actually like performing, I couldn't. So, there's always a chance next year, I guess, or three chances. Oh, hopefully, just one chance, right? Hopefully, next year we're going to have it on paper again, but who knows? Yeah, then I'll play. Uh, unless unless actually you're willing to travel around the world, right? Then you could like be playing the, the American, European, Japanese one. <laughs> it's probably not that much work for me to get to the American one versus the European one, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. So for the second half of the podcast, we took a look at which decks have actually been performing in Legacy lately. I mean, drumroll, yeah, Blue Red Diver has been doing really well, super powerful deck. Uh, but there's also a lot of other things that's going on in the format right now. So we put together the former uh, the results from the Legacy Showcase Challenge, the Energy Series Trial, where actually I was a commentator on that. And also the actually we didn't really look too much into the most recent legacy challenge because that had a lot of the same again. Uh, but shoutouts to Tesecular who got a top four after kind of like a hiatus. So Tesecular, the Elf Master is back. And Callum, is there is there something that sticks out to you? Like I, I marked a couple of decks um, that I want to talk about. It's actually way more than we probably have time for. But is there is there one if you had to pick one deck? Is there one deck where you feel like, dude, this is this is amazing? I want to talk about that. Well, um, because not, I have one. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll come to you in a second then. But I just want to like shout out. So the the winner was uh, McGuin Source, who with a Yorian full color Zenith. Which on the last episode we were kind of talking about it. How you know this deck has been like existing but never really done very much. And I know McGuin Source has played it like throughout most of his legacy exploration. I'll say, and he's always kind of like stuck with it and it's shown that he can win with it time and time again when he plays. But it had a kind of like a breakout at Tomo Weekend, right? And then we covered that in the podcast afterwards saying, well, this kind of came out of nowhere, but it feels like a, kind of the old Jund style or bug midrange or like Agrolome did against Delver where, you know, you have some ramp in Green Southern for the Dried Arbor and stuff. And I think it plays some dorks. I can't remember exactly that. Yeah, but, that's uh, Paradise. Yeah, cool. And then you start slamming like huge three drops down their throat, like... Oh, I guess Uro and Endurance now and you just have like all this removal as well I think what like the, the Yorian decks were kind of missing before was more good removal because you had the swords always but then Prismatic Ending just makes up for the up to the 8 removal spells which is like stock 
to play 80 cards as well. And so it's just interesting to see this continuing to win, um, even if it's in McBinnisaurus' hands. Don't want to like take anything from away there, but it's continuing to win. So that would be like my kind of deck to look out for. I would expect the decks that are best against it is like combo. So potentially if people have the same thoughts as me here, they're thinking the deck's pretty good. If more people pick it up and like the uh, the three and four color kind of mid-range control decks m- move to this, I think we could see more combo doing well as well. So one of the, but that's that got my one of the nice things about uh, the greens and zenith version of the deck is that uh, it actually has a better combo matchup than your traditional Bant deck. Because I, uh, I know a lot of Doomsday pilots and uh, TES pilots especially, when you run into Bant, you're just like, okay, I, I win. This matchup is incredibly <laughs> in my favor. They don't have enough things to stop you. Uh, but this, this deck has a couple of I, things that do interact really well on... Is this Leovold, I guess, is a big one? Eh, not really. Um, okay. Leovold <laughs> matters much more for Doomsday. Uh, for TES, we board out half our cantrips in the matchup anyway. But uh, okay. having uh, Green Sensitive for Collector Oof, having um, your Canis, your Meddling Mages, uh, and... Specifically for Wasteland, which is a card that current iterations of combo decks kind of have a hard time beating, uh, either because there's so many stressful color requirements or whatever. It it really just twists the matchup in a ways that traditional Bant doesn't, which is incredibly powerful. Yeah, fair. That's fair. Um, I guess part of like these decks as well. We were talking with I've been talking with some combo people, and they've said like, you know, it's hard to know when to go off because at any moment they could play some random hate yeah like, it's very yeah. random you just don't really know what's coming so yeah no i can see that that's fair i'll stand corrected on that one yeah uh a legacy so card maybe this deck continues to do well <laughs> then. Yeah. yeah go on julian hit us with uh what caught your eye most the, the deck I love the most is the one that uh, Javi Dominguez actually, I guess, kind of pioneered a couple of weeks ago. Oh, and yeah. now Rex Check um, p- played it to a run-up finish in the Legacy Show- Showcase Challenge. And that is, I'm, I'm not really sure what to call it. I call it Bond Turbulence, like in the uh, in the tradition of Turbulence and Legacy, which I guess was a thing 16 years ago. <laughs> hey, at GP Paris, there was Farmland, I think it was called. Oh, Farmville, yeah, yeah. Farmville. Yeah, come on now. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was seven years ago. <laughs> yeah i remember yeah yeah but that was great that was great i I guess it's actually kind of similar right and for those who don't know this deck is is kind of like you take your land stack and then you remove all avenues of like interacting with like your opponent's creatures and you you also barely touch their lands i mean you still play four wastelands and you have four life from the gnome but you you don't do like the port thing you don't do ghost quarter you don't text their creatures with tabernacle like you really you strip away all the red part and all the 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 mana denial part except for wasteland and you just do your own thing right you 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 have so many amazing actually you don't have so many amazing spells but you have very hard hitters so the way the deck works is you have your typical bond control deck but instead of like doing just the bond thing you play four explorations so that way you're gonna get your lands out much quicker you also have four life from the loam which i think most bond decks play like one sometimes maybe like a second copy and then you just like you run out all of your lands and you run out your oro and then you just like you ride your oro to victory you you have your saga that you can use that you can also like rebuy with the life from the loam but then you also have your i like like lands you also have your traditional um, removal spells like sorts of plowshares you have dazes i think you don't have force of will in the main deck yeah i Six yeah you see i see four copies in the sideboard 
So this is this is really just like, dude, I'm, I'm just going to do the lands thing. You get to keep all your lands, kind of, and I, I don't like target your creatures. I'm just going to be really fast and really hard with my Uros and my, my versus Sagas. And I love that committed, to commitment, that focus to to that strategy instead of trying to play this more controllish game. And that's that's why the deck excites me so much. Yeah, I, I, I can see it going off pretty well. Like, to me, it looks like the opposite of what you said, kind of like it looks like a band deck with four explorations and four life from the limbs. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they are conglomerated together to make like quite a powerful shell. And I guess they're capitalizing on what Alex said just now. He's like, uh, combo decks are actually quite soft to Wasteland. Um, they're, I guess the Epic Storm is playing like four, five colors. Five colors. Um, for like, uh, five colors for lands. Veil and Prismatic Indian. Uh, yeah. Yeah, cool. And then like Doomsday is wanting to fetch out Underground Seas whenever it wants. I've been playing a lot of lands the last week and found myself wastelanding combo decks a lot more than I expected. So again, like you just have all these cantrips to find the pieces of the exploration slash Uro to get extra land drops on the wastelands. And um, it is taking advantage of like, Urza Saga pretty nicely as well. Um, with lots of mana, you can you can use the Retrofitter Foundry very, very well. So yeah. This deck also probably gets huge brewer's advantage from people not being able to tell uh, if there are forces in the main deck, if there aren't forces in the main deck. Yeah, true. Like, that that's huge. <laughs> I, I believe Javier said on uh, Twitter that he uh, would move the forces to the main deck uh, in the okay. future. But that's one of the things that uh, he mentioned. But Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they people would very rightly play around it. Yeah, it's kind of built... Yeah. But, but blue deck doesn't have force all game one. And, like, you kind of see that in the sideboarding where there's so many anti-combo cards because you're just sacking your combo yeah. matchups game one to assume that, okay, on average, I'm going to be playing against other fair decks and I don't want this uh, two-for-one. And you've kind of seen this with force of negation slowly falling out of the format where the combo decks have been pushed aside and uh, and you have these fair decks that are taking over and now you're having evolutions or micro-evolutions of deck building against all these other decks. And so that's why uh, I think... Was it this event where there was a bunch of reanimator in the top eight as well, where people decided just like, okay, I'll punish this with reanimator? Yeah. In uh, oops, there, were, there were two black red reanimators in in the top eight, which, by the way, is a deck I've been pushing on this podcast as well. And Kalom always tells me that's not that. I, good. I don't believe it's good overall, but I think for <laughs> for one weekend, you, you could pick a spot where uh, there was very little graveyard hate, very little like people just trying to outfare each other. And you're just like, okay, here's my gristle brand. Try the prismatic ending of this. Yeah, I mean, like, imagine you get matched up against this this blue deck without force of wills. Yeah, and then they have like. I guess that's the point. My only my only critique of this deck is it just feels a bit too one dimensional. Yeah. Like your win conditions are either Uru or Saga, and that's it. I don't know what else I would want, but it's a critique at least. Like Julian's biggest fear and like biggest hate of these kind of four color decks is if Uru gets surgical. Then you're leaning on the sagas and I guess the foundry. Yeah, I guess in this deck you don't care that much. I I just like when I watched Anorak play, he he always talked about how much of a big deal it is that you have to really go out of your way to not get Uro Surgical card. And I think with this deck you can relax a little bit. And also like who who really plays Surgical in Legacy anymore? That's pretty uncommon these days. There's two in the sideboard of this deck, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I think yeah, that's one of the one. <laughs> observations that Brian Koval made when he was uh you know, somewhere in between this and traditional band is he put uh, Field of the Dead in his deck because you literally couldn't win games in paper fast enough uh, to, to mm-hmm. not draw. Yeah, I remember that. I think he, he talked about that on Twitter, right? When when he went to the tournament and he got like three draws in paper or something, he was really fed up with yeah, it. Yeah, that, that was the point <laughs> at which I sold my Miracles deck and bought Ant. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. 
Oh, uh, cool. So there's actually a, a ton more interesting decks. I think one of them that I thought Callum would pick is the the black red and uh, the red green madness deck. It's straight yeah. up red green madness, this, right? This I have a lot of decks I like. I mean, I love the madness deck. Yeah, it's really cool to see that do well. But it doesn't like. I like it. It's just not quite as much much loved as uh, the Hogak decks, I guess. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now, and I'm not even seeing any way that it tries to beat like combo decks, like. Even in the sideboard, like what do you actually have in the sideboard against? Colors? Oh, you just like, race them. Nothing. You just race them. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the only way you you can really attempt to do anything about it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm is, loving it. The deck is, is absurdly fast. It can kill turn two um, with some of the good hands. Yeah, I've definitely lost it, it, straight it, up races to this deck. Uh, yeah, and there yeah. were there was a point in time where they were playing four mindbreak traps, and that that was terrifying. Uh, I've always played two or three. Like it just. Yeah. I don't know. Even if you show them one game two, and then like you it know, makes you play around it, I guess, and the, then that gives you enough time to yeah. just like win the game or just like mess them up with a burning inquiry. Which getting burning inquiry yeah. is a oh, terribly yeah. unfun That's experience, something. in my opinion. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I have burning card against Dredge online with this, and it's like, oh shit, I'm in trouble. <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> For those who don't know, this is this is a sorcery one red. Each player draws three cards, then discards three cards at random. And that's like if you do if you get to do that on the play on the first turn, you can sometimes really mess up your opponent. Yeah, you know, discard all their lands or discard their key card that they kept their hand off of. It's it's not a great experience. Uh, it, it's like the Hamda Torak experience, but like a lot worse. <laughs> yeah. So in the yeah. ideal case, it not only like enables your deck, it's also a time walk all for one mana. Yeah. <laughs> we, we should use that more in other decks. <laughs> other decks cool. in this, I gotta shout out my boy Eli in ninth. I was so sad to see this. Uh, Eli is Cadrian online. He's Goblin Lackey one. Uh, everyone check out his stream. He's just absolutely awesome, and he just plays goblins. And he's there in ninth. Wait, um, he's not called Goblin Lackey one on Magic Online. No, he's Cadrian. Oh, dude, I'm I'm still. I, I, just, I've, I've I've told you this like ten times. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, but there's like there's Goblin Lackey one. There's Turn one Goblin Lackey. There's Cadrian. There's oh, these names are all over yeah. the place. They all live in London apparently. There are a lot of Goblin Lackeys with a one somewhere <laughs> in their names. <laughs> Don't ever go into the Goblins Discord. You're gonna get horrifically confused. I promise. Yeah, and we yeah yeah. But also sign of the format and what people were prepping for for this tournament. Two main deck red blast. Uh, yes, so I was gonna bring that up. Um, this is his like kind of innovation i guess to some extent where like yeah people are used to kind of like blue red decks main decking one pyroblast it makes sense but he like completely identified that he just lost every single game to blue red delver by them playing like a turn seven or eight uh merc tide which he could didn't have the answer to so um i mean yeah he's he's just said since adding a couple of blasts to the deck against the decks where it doesn't come up it's either like you know your combo you're losing game one anyway or i guess against combo it's fine as well mm. i don't know he, yeah he's just said it's been amazing so that's there <laughs> we've, got, we've got the classic eli sideboard of like tons of one-offs and a couple of two-offs yeah red blasting uh thassa's oracle or brainstorm uh very good targets even even in those faster combo yeah. matchups and they're not going to expect it yeah, imagine one. if you get to do that in the first game against against doomsday that's actually hilarious yeah it was like oh yeah come on goblins easy game easy game whatever and then you red blast the oracle Imagine if they even could have had like Kevin available, but they just like didn't build that pile because they were like whatever. Yeah. Or or you just <laughs> kill it because they didn't uh, build their pile to draw their whole deck. Yeah, this might be one of the formats where Blast has had like the most uh, decks. It's like live against, if that makes sense. I'm not saying it's like the most unhealthy. There's been formats where people will main deck them, and like I'm thinking Dig Through Time Omni kind of era, but um. 
I don't know. I'm just thinking of D&T and Elves where it's not live. Yeah, that's basically I guess it. Re- Reanimator as well. Yeah. But Count- it's just not a lot of Counter-Target Expressive Iteration is also pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That card's... I'll be, I'll be interested to know if he even counters that, though. Like, I think you just care about the the Merktide. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're just going to be like, yeah, you, you spend two mana on doing nothing, fine. I'm I'm just going to do the goblin thing. I'm yeah. just going to get you on tempo. <laughs> well, what's annoying is whenever I felt like I'm playing against Lira Delver and then they play the Merktide, then you play your removal spell for it, they just force it. And you're just like, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, so annoying. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, that happens. Uh, that, that's another interesting deck in tenth place. I guess there's there's a lot of interesting decks uh, that all just like shuffle around the colors because this one uh, in our um, show notes I called it Espa Red Control. Like you run out of ways to describe these decks. <laughs> so this is another um, four color deck. This one, I think they don't use green, right? Whereas the Yorian uh, four color Senate deck, I think they don't use red. They don't use oh, they- uh, <laughs> black. Uh, yeah, they don't use red. There, there's, there's, uh, so I've been doing some of the legacy data collection product, and we've seen every single four color blue deck that exists in various iterations. Um, right. <laughs> usually, people are playing red for uh, expressive iteration and blasts, and this that's what this deck is doing, and all, as well as two meltdown, which is a very powerful card against Urza Saga and eight cast. This 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 deck for me is new age checkpile. Yep. I believe it won a challenge like a month ago, and I called it. Checkpile online, and I got told off, but I'm pretty sure it is. I, I'm I I know the era when Checkpile was the Deathrite Shaman deck that was uh, Sans White, but eh, yeah. whatever. So so for me for me Checkpile like signifies base blue black control deck with Hibsterak and Belfast Strix <laughs> and Inquisition yeah. of come on it's got Inquisitions over Thoughtseize as well. This yeah, is like yeah, this has just... Check written all over it. <laughs> I think we, we eventually will have to go back to naming decks after um, not shards, which we basically do right now, right? But after yeah. um, what was it called? Like when we uh, when we named decks after four colors, like Nephilim. the dragons. Back Nephilim then? from yeah, Nephilim. Uh, Ravnica block. Like Dega and all that stuff? Uh, no, Dega, yeah, Dega were still three colors, I believe. Oh, we're still yeah. three colors? Oh, yeah, okay. it's, it's Glintai and... Your Tiller. Like yeah, I have no idea how that works. Like, I'm totally lost on that. Yeah, yeah the, the Nephilim were from... Oh, the Nephilim were right? They were that, from those are the ones. Guild Pact? Yeah, whatever the last original original Ravnica set was, I believe. Um, Dis- Dissension, yeah. then, maybe. I don't know. I'm, I'm a big fan all, of all clear the, deck names. Uh, I, I think that the flavorful deck names are not are not it, but I, I I'm the absolute opposite. I, I, I like nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I d I don't wanna I don't wanna play against like full color control and then do you get hemmed on turn two or do you get Sylvan Library on turn two? <laughs> or do they have Uro, do they have Teferis? Like they're all like different enough. Like this this deck we're looking at now with four him to Turek and three Inquisition of Kozilek is like leagues different and three Teferi Time Reveler is so different to like the full color control decks with Playing yeah. Um Esper hasn't been a very good uh color combination since War of the Spark, but uh getting draw step discard spelled or hymned, that's terrifying. Ooh, I've done that a lot with Esper Mentor. Yeah. Whenever that was like kind of popping off a bit, that was fun. You can do it some... was one of those decks where you did like really well and then just went away. We did even did like an entire episode on it and, yeah. and then you lost interest in it. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I won the first challenge after some bands and then played it a bit more, but it, the the color black has just gotten worse and worse in Legacy. Yep. Yeah, um, I guess that's another episode of its own, right? That's that's what we've been talking about a lot lately. We should, we should do an episode on that, like the death of black and Legacy. Yeah, yeah. Actually, let's do that. Let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, one more deck I want to point out in, in the Legacy Showcase here is the 15th place uh, by Q-Cubed. Uh, and that's straight up, I think, Death and Texas, but 
there's a sort of hearth and home in the sideboard. Does anybody listening to this podcast know what a sort of hearth and home is? I could tell you. Yeah, I, I guess you should, it. because I had no idea what it does. <laughs> okay, I actually can't. It's the green-white one from the last set. Oh, I'm not looking at it, I promise, because I'm not telling you what it does. Um, I think it flickers something. Yep. And then and then it probably kills an artifact or enchantment. Uh, no, nah, that's the the red the red one has uh, the shatter attached to it. Right, right. I don't I don't remember the green half. So yeah, you are right for the flicker part. It's nice. um, flickers one of your creatures, and then you get to search your library for a basic ra- uh, land card and put it onto the battlefield tapped. Mm. So you basically you get to a rampant growth. I'm not really sure what we're doing with this. Oh, it card. makes sense. Like death and taxes <laughs> is, is like one of the best flicker decks. Like you get to flicker your skyclave apparitions. Yeah, that for sure. Or recruiter of the guards. <laughs> is that all? Uh, Stoneforge mystics. Uh, Holy shit! Yeah, this. Rexian I was just revokers, thinking, like, do you, uh, do you get to like attack through Uro and protection from swords? No, DNT mirror. Of course. Yeah, Alex is smart. This is why we uh, like you get to flicker <laughs> all of your best cards. Like that. That's why flick flicker was just one of the better cards in Death and Taxes. So it makes sense that this is a mm-hmm. core piece of the strategy. It's probably very good against Bant and very good against uh, the mirror. Though, like, I guess like them paying three mana to exile your sword is like not the greatest, but it's not terrible. <laughs> uh, though one thing to note about this specific death and taxes list is that it is a 60 card list uh not the 80 card list that have been uh advertised by xj cloud as being yeah. the the future of death and taxes um and i think i wonder which part of this is more surprising the sword or the 60 cards? i think of the 60 cards at this point i think other things to note yeah. is two copies of esper sentinel uh for my time in modern that card is just insane it's so good. Yeah. Uh, and in Legacy, yeah, you don't even have to worry about Ren and Six coming in and just, like, uh, ending your day. But there's three Flicker Wisps. I don't know about that. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, one Phyrexian, yeah. or one Revoker is, like, a little bit of uh, Old Hat that's coming back. Yeah. Uh, Two-Spirit of the Lab is interesting, but... There's a Sword of Feast and Famine main as well, which is usually a Fire and Ice. I believe Especially so. Especially with Blue-Red Delver. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, I guess they're just thinking Blue-Red is so good already. I don't know. Yeah, I guess they're assuming that they can win the blue red matchup anyway that oh there's also no culture complete true <laughs> no what yeah what that kind of so good like that's that, that's one of the reasons why i wouldn't even consider something like you know um manjuki gusari which used to be like a thing for the mirror like i wouldn't even play that anymore yeah there's also a brutal cathar in the sideboard uh that card is okay yeah this 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 is wide. Uh, oh that's not the card <laughs> i thought it was um because no. there, there's another cathar um that's just a disenchant on a stick and that card's pretty good that's that's Cathar Commander. Yeah. That's really good. It's like 3-1 flash yeah. and cool stuff. Yeah, and it gets through Topper up, which is like the big deal about it, yep. right? Yeah, th- yeah, this is this this uh this particular list has signed up to lose to Torpor or real hard. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um Brutal Cathar, I'm looking at it, it looks like a kind of a ringy thing that turns into a red werewolf, which is pretty sweet. I mean werewolves are sweet, so there we go. Cracked it. Yeah, very interesting list. Like Julian, you kicked it off by saying, like, yeah, this sword, and then as we're going through it, it's like, huh. Cool. What? What? Uh, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. Cool. So the the NRG series trial was also a big tournament. I think it had over a hundred players that went down on on the previous weekend, and it was taken down by Kyle Vjorn on uh, well another four color loam list. Uh, <laughs> for as much as I want to point out all these different four color decks, I'm I'm yeah I'm losing interest in in all the different kind of variations because they are I don't want to say they are all the same. Like for example, this one's using um three mox diamonds, so it's yeah quite different. Also using punishment. Dude, dude what, what is up with all these decks having sex? Like what, what what's up like <laughs> lands like hanging out with like control decks? Like yeah, look at what we made, and and then then, then we have like 
Agrolome coming back from the dead, but Agrolome doesn't want to be bad anymore. So, you know, now no, it picks up. I don't even know, like, a control deck as well. And, and everything is and soup. Brain soup. Everything like, is expressive really, iteration soup. <laughs> yeah, but they're, yeah, but they are different soups. Like, previously, like, we had real, real, like, all stew, all legacy soup decks. But now these are these are slight variations, but then. <sighs> yeah, you got your chicken noodle soup three over here, your chicken and rice soup over here. <laughs> Sometimes you got your beef stew. Uh, you know, it's, it's all soup. Yeah, this yeah, the punishing fire group of bundles. I just want a powerful control deck to step in and like throw all these decks out of the window. Like, may, if Doomsday can't deliver that, then we, we we need to come up with some other kind of combo decks. Is it yep. is it the epic storm? You, uh, you, 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 I, mean, I, I would say so. I think that TES, uh, so TES is very very good against the blue decks. That was traditionally one of the spots where uh, I, I know that there's a question later about Ant that uh, the the Ant versus TES debacle was always. TS is a little bit better against the non-blue decks, but Ant is better against uh, the blue decks, and being better against the blue decks is better. Uh, I think that we flipped that with our Veil of Summers, with uh, the Red Necropotence of Galvanic Relay, which, if you're not familiar with that card, is uh, 2R. Uh, exile the top card of your library. You may that play that card on your next turn, and it has Storm. So it's effectively like a draw 5 or 6 on your next turn, and you can chain them together. And we poured those in over Ponders in our blue matchups. Uh, very powerful. Oh, you you got several copies of that when, when you say you bought them yeah, in over Panda? Four copies in our sideboard. Ooh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, and I think that TES is like very, very good at beating up on a lot of these decks as long as there's not a hate bear because just like burning through a couple counter spells when you have infinite time is like not that hard. Uh, especially when they have to two for one themselves on almost every threat. And sometimes you have a Wish Claw Talisman that just sits in play. Though that's less common than it used to be because of Prismatic Ending. Okay, okay. So maybe... Uh, somehow people still keep playing these decks. Maybe not, not enough people are, are picking up TES then. Because I, I, I just I want these decks to suffer. I don't know. That, that's just a statistic <laughs> part of me. Where I like... I, I don't like it when greed gets away with it. And this is just like the epitome of greed when, when people just like throw everything together. And I mean, I, I can respect a Mox Diamond deck. Uh, at least that's a commitment. Also like how how I can like really, really respect the, the deck we talked about earlier with the four explorations. But if it's just like random value greed, I'm... Yeah, I think that there's still an impression that TES is this fragile Black Belcher deck that really hasn't been true since we put Wishflower Talisman in the deck. Has it ever been like the Black Belcher thing that was just like a meme? Or that's, I don't I know. Mean, we series. leaned into it. We played four copies of Empty the Warrens. It was kind of true during the pro Deathrite days. Yeah, I, I think it was as well. And that was like, it's kind of sounds like it's making fun of it, but at the same time, it was like making fun of its success. Like, they, you found a way to beat Delver with making a bunch of goblins. And it's like, haha, you made a bunch yeah. of goblins. Like, yeah, I did. <laughs> Attack you. <laughs> yeah. Nice, nice Deathrite Shaman nerd. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I never thought I'd see the day where like a, a deck called Full Color Loam has one wasteland in it, but uh, yeah. It's, it's, I mean that that's what they call it on on the Nardrage gaming. Yeah, to be fair, to be fair, it's like it's like a full color mid range control deck which is utilizing Mox Diamonds because I think people have been realizing that Life from the Loam is pretty decent in these decks already. Like I know Anorag has always been at the forefront of these kind of style decks, and he I've seen him like add one or two wastelands, and then he added like a Loam with it as well. And I think at some points he had like you know one wasteland main, two in the side. Loam main, loam in the side, <laughs> and stuff like that. So this is a continuation, and like it plays pretty similarly. So I was, I was about to say, at least the guy has some respect and says, if you're gonna play punishing fire, you have to have at least one duck fade, and like you know, <laughs> it's they're, they're twin and X up. So yeah, in in speaking of all this, this 
soupiness and everybody's just like playing whatever sounds right. like it, it really feels like there's no rules to legacy anymore it's just like play blue red diver or just play your you, you know your tra- play your trade binder uh whatever you have like one wasteland low yeah it's gonna be fine just put it in yeah or fcd yeah. that's actually something i wanted to get or into to, to as well right because yeah. those those decks are seeing so much play and so much success but before we get to that i, I want to talk about one more card um that's part of the soup and that's witherbloom command i think pokemoki uh, Jeff White has been talking about that card quite a bit and been posting some lists with it. And before we move into the card, um, I'm going to read it out because most people probably don't know exactly what it does. <laughs> I certainly didn't know all the modes. It's a sorcery, a black and a green, and you get to choose two of the four modes. Target player mills three cards, then you return a land card from your graveyard to your hand. Or destroy target non-creature and non-land permanent with mana value two or less. Or target creature gets minus three, minus one until end of turn. Or target opponent loses two life and you gain two life. So obviously this, you know, takes care of Pithing Needle, takes care of Etherwild. Those, those are probably like the, the, the bigger ones. Mother of Rune, uh, non-creature, okay, so no, not Mother of Rune's there. What else do you do you do with this card? There, I guess you get to trade it off um, as a two for one against against creatures. I, I guess this is just like one of those cards that's supposed to be good against Death and Texas, right? Because you can also like destroy a creature along with it. All the other modes don't seem too exciting. I think for- it can mess with a doomsday pile sometimes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a sorcery, I, I but I guess in this yeah, it, it only works <laughs> in a past turn thing. My, my experience with this has actually been, I think it looks pretty anemic, but then I've always been on the receiving end of it and it always feels better than it looks. Um, I'm not saying it's great, I think you need to build around it to make it work. But I think you do want to be a deck that plays Wastelands to start because I think the first ability to mill three cards and then return a land is the, the first thing you're going to do. Not tricks or not like combos, but things I've seen people do is like brainstorm back or put ponder on top, to like put an Uro there and then mill it into your graveyard is pretty good value. Or just a land that you want. Again, if you're playing brainstorm, like, you know, getting a two for one off this card, you bring a land back. It's not like a two for one as in like kind of, it's, it's a real card economy. So you get an actual card back that you can brainstorm back. Again, like, you know, the, the destroy target non-creature, non-land permanent value two or less. Like if you're not playing prismatic ending, then you might want that effect because um, Etherval and like grindstone in my, in my play styles against this thing like you know those cards you know control decks uh, historically had a pretty tough time against so if you're not playing ending that's where this card will come in again minus three minus one it does kill ragavan it does kill a non quote-unquote flipped dragon race channeler so it can kill some threats and mother runes like you said um i don't know that mode is a lot worse than it reads it does if if only it was like Uh, minus two minus two it'd be the whole world of difference but oh it'd be so different yeah like uh that that third line of text might as well read minus one minus one yeah in no, like 95 percent of cases yeah yeah uh um it, and when you start to look at it like that like that's like so uh the tes team tested this card when it was released uh as a wish target against death and taxes being able because being able to like kill your thalia and your deafening silence was an appealing uh play pattern mm-hmm. it just clunked out for us too uh too often especially because like the last mode is just <laughs> blank text more often than not yeah I mean, it's the nice thing about the last line is it's still something you can do if you don't have a second thing you want to use the card for. It's not a great use of the card, but like if you're just milling three cards and returning a land, like especially a wasteland or a utility land or something, and then it's another thing you can like tack on at least for a little bit of value. Um, that's not a card you'd want to play in Legacy, but it's it's some kind of floor at least. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I I don't think the card is amazing, but I think it can play better than it looks sometimes. 
I can see it being annoying if your opponent really like if, if they have nothing else to do right uh, if they don't cast their, their seven library in the second turn and they do this to get back another land drop which you know in these these mirror mirrors is quite a big deal and and then yeah but you need to do something else right if you only use it to get back a land drop i think it's it's not quite there even if, if it has uses in other matchups so if you ask me my verdict is like no but it's close-ish uh, uh. Yeah, no, I think eh is is a fair, yeah. <laughs> fair response. <laughs> yeah. I, I just wanted to bring it up because I've been seeing it um, here and there in, in a couple of these back decks. And the the much bigger card that I want to talk about is actually Pernicious Steed. And I know that sounds crazy. And I'm probably like heavily biased <laughs> because I've seen Justin Gennari do totally obscene things with it in, in Vintage. Steve. And something that I didn't even think about for quite a while is that Deed actually kills Saga, right? Mm-hmm. Saga is an enchantment. Deed kills artifacts, enchantments, and and creatures, and that's just that, that makes me feel like y- y- you can either like straight away take a take away a land um, from your opponent, which probably is not something you want to do, but you know maybe. And the other thing is, if you if you actually blow the deed and you kill all the constructs and maybe another saga and whatever they got out of the saga, then mana wise, that's the most insane trade you could ever made, right? You ever make they spend like four mana to activate the sagas so and two sagas to tap so they basically they spent at least six mana on whatever came out of the saga and you took a hit of one of the constructs that's okay and then you just like you spend three or four mana to just like get rid of it all and also have like a utility against other things they could be doing uh, that, that's that's nice and all but you have to resolve the pernicious deed oh, that's, that's okay. the biggest problem i don't think the that's biggest... the problem Is uh, it? so i was talking about this this morning with uh jarvis you actually and that that was his opinion as well was that uh days being one of the biggest cards of why yeah but that's uh, that's not what i'm concerned with like i'm not talking about oh maybe (laughs) i should have made that clear i'm not talking about deed as a card that i would like want against like the ragamon decks right it's more like against all these 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 mid-range ah but then it doesn't kill the the planeswalkers that's annoying to be honest the 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 rag the sagavan whatever you want to call like they're playing days as well the non-delver versions so it's actually really yeah. good at what it does, but there's yeah. there's no decks you really want it against. I think the other thing is like it just has more splash damage and vintage where people are playing mox and overlands. Uh, you can just and there's no dazes and your yeah. and again enchantments that aren't blue are very very hard to counter, mm-hmm. uh, which is why it's great in vintage. Yeah, I th- I think it'd be worth like you know trying out, but I think it's gonna be like. I don't know. It feels fucking awesome. To okay, do, okay, to do okay. <laughs> Goes back into the binder. So. We're never gonna see it again. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, so, so here's here's. I, I have a trade offer for you. Uh, ban days and make pernicious deed playable. <laughs> uh, that, that doesn't sound like the kind of format I want to play. I, I want like <laughs> I want hidden information to be much bigger um, than than any kind of like. Oh, I'm just gonna play the board thing. I, I want people to be uncomfortable all the time because they don't know what's gonna happen. And I think Days really, really delivers that. Sure. I want people to make like uncomfortable decisions a lot. And that's, I think, Days to me is the epitome of, of like uh, seeing that implemented in the format. You don't, you don't want the tension of playing into the board wipe versus uh, holding some stuff back. Speaking yeah, I, of that, I'm, I'm just here while you guys have the discussion. I'm just like dreaming of needing huge D&T boards. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, I'm wonderful. just drooling like... I know that there are a lot of ant players that played a deed or two somewhere in their seventy fives oh, yeah. for multiple years. Uh, were they called? Were they called Martin or Slosh? I was just going to Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen that crazy motherfucker play Plague Boy Lands. Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, I think he, he actually, like, right before it was banned, he actually wanted to start playing Death Watch Shaman in an A&T. Yeah, I think <laughs> I, I was on board with that. Like, I remember talking to him about it, and it's like, you know, it seems good. Like, it does everything you want. <laughs> it's a win-con, mixed mana, disruption, awesome. So, and speaking of that deck, Ant, um, I, I've seen Kai Savatari and, and Cyrus Kermangil. Like, Cyrus came back from the dead kind of re- recently, right? He, I think he also got a top eight in the entire weekend. And both of those guys have been playing uh, at Nauseam Tendrils a lot lately, and I, I, I kind of wanted to be a thing because I wanted to be good against all these blue soup decks. You know, I, I just like have this deep hatred for those decks in so, case you never picked up on that. <laughs> so Kai and Cyrus are extremely good players. They they are wonderful. They can make content about the Oh, deck. I don't know about Kai. He seems pretty bad, actually. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't think that the sorceries in Ant like have enough black mana symbols for him sometimes. But, uh, you know. They're wonderful players. Uh, Ant still has all of the structural fundamental problems it has. Uh, endurance, Force of Negation, Ragavan. Ragavan stealing your discard spells is just atrocious. Uh, there, there are lots of reasons why Ant uh, has a tough time in these more developed metagames and challenges, but maybe in leagues it's fine. Uh, I, I, I think that if you want to beat the blue soup decks, you play the deck that has four Veil of Summers in it and has uh, four Galvanic Relays in it. Do you think, um, I, you might have been asked this a few times, but do you think Ant has suffered from not having people working on it as much? Like, so yourself and Brian and some others have been like at the forefront of pushing TES like throughout all these years. And I, I, I've never known how to answer this question. I think it's a fair question from people saying Ant does feel a bit stuck in its ways and if it had people pioneering it as much. Um, or do you think it's actual structural problems as you've laid out just now? Uh, both. Like, there have been so many printings in the format that gave it splash diamonds. I think Force Negation was a really, really big one that's underrated. Mm-hmm. I guess the better way to look at it for the people that are struggling to see is Ant has always had this name, Ad Nauseam Tendrils, but really it's actually a Past and Flames deck. Whereas yep. you, Tez being you, is this the Ad Nauseam deck. So yeah, there's like, I guess Endurance as well. It's just like, it really, yeah. really punishes the graveyard. So. And then your Delver matchup got a lot worse when they can just steal your discard spells off the top. So I do <laughs> think that there are structural problems with why Ant would be good. There's not a really good argument for it. Yeah, I think that there also are not... There, I've, I've seen a lot of lists, a lot of people iterating in the Storm Discord. It's a wonderful place. Mm-hmm. But they, they all just kind of run into the same Ant problems of, man, my Cabal Rituals don't feel as good as they used to. My discard spells don't feel as good as they used to. There are too many good cards to take Yeah, uh, yeah. with with these discard spells or... I got my tendrils exiled by Ragavan. <laughs> I, I lose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess one of the biggest draws for for Ant used to be that you could really just like grind it out against these these control yeah. decks. Like you you would just eventually just do the thing where you went past them. Like you cast past them flames twice in a single turn. They just cost, couldn't handle it. And that's not and, really and now, a thing now with the endurance and everything. Yeah, force negation. And if, if you want to grind people, play TES. I you know you 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 take these six seven turn. Uh, wins against uh, control decks where you're grinding them out because you just drew so many more cards than them. And and can you guys works. do like put in even more work to to spread the word of that? Because if that's actually true, then there's a real hole in the meta game that people should abuse really, really hard. The problem with TES is that it loses to random nonsense more often than it should, and Doomsday is really, really good at being the random nonsense. It's it's almost like Doomsday and TES have inverse matchup profiles. Oh, that doesn't sound very good for TES then. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll you'll lose to like uh, other fast combo decks. You'll you'll still beat the Death and Taxes, and you'll beat all the fair blue decks. Uh, you'll beat uh, stuff like Green White Depths. Um, 
like uh, the the things that you don't want to run into are anything with force of will and chalice of the void uh or anything that plays that is faster than you uh mm-hmm. or is or is doomsday i guess like, i guess you, you a, don't have a, a great doomsday matchup. Like your nightmare made fuel uh a little bit yeah but that that archetype has always been yeah uh miserable it's it's better than it used to be because they're not playing karn anymore oh yeah karn yeah. <laughs> yeah you love that not like that kind of went away somehow yeah weirdly uh, I, I, by the way, I recently played a league. And speaking of things that went away, I recently went a league, played a league with Eldrazi. I started out three and zero. I thought I'd broken the meta game, and I think I went three and two. And then I, I went back to elves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in in speaking of elves, uh, that that's an, basically the last thing I want to talk about. It really feels like people still don't give a shit about it anymore, even though it's all over the place. It, it might even be the deck that puts up the second most top eights after after Blue Red Delva, and probably like relative to like conversion rate it might even be one of the best decks in the format right now and i don't know i've been playing it quite a lot lately again and it really feels like nobody really cares about it everybody's like yeah i i have this one-off and the festivities hey yeah i i I thought we haven't seen as much like kickback basically so i think elves is an amazing deck and it can definitely fight through some hate and stuff yeah i know like you can beat plague engineers in the festivities and stuff like this but um Usually, when a deck like performs very well, you'll see the kickback in like two to three weeks online, and you know that happens. And we haven't seen it though; it's weird. I, I, I guess part of it is we've seen um, the the Greens and Zenith control deck like start to do more well. Uh, good English there, better because <laughs> um, Leovold is good at shutting down a lot of their engines. Then Plague Engineer can mop stuff up as well. But you're right; I don't know. I thought we might even see like kind of Delver splash black for a Plague Engineer or two. Or stuff like that, but um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's, it's coming now, but the deck is always fantastic. And yeah. uh, I played a couple of leagues this week actually, and got a couple of four ones. I think it's, it feels really strong. Like you do really, really smash the the mid range control decks. Yeah, one thing you do struggle against somewhat. I mean, obviously, there's always the Delva start, right? Where they, they just like quote unquote Delva. You doesn't even need to involve Delva, and then it's gonna be rough. But the the other games that you lose, if if it's not for mana troubles, which is by the way the number one thing where you lose with elves, I feel, uh, is when they you get to the mid game, you know, you, you trade off a bunch of stuff early on, and then eventually they get the big dragon down, and you do have the assassin's trophy for it, but they have to force the That that's basically the, the the kind of game plan you talked about earlier, right? When when you mm-hmm. talked about goblins having pyroblast, and you feel like, oh yeah, yeah, I can win, and then you can't, and it's it's one of those things that still comes up. So I think. If I was playing Delva against S, I would still feel somewhat awkward, um, especially because of Alasar Shepard being one of the stupidest cards ever printed. But other than that, um, I think Delva is one of the decks that needs to worry a little bit less about Elves, uh, even though I brought up anti-festivities as, as one of those cards that people don't play enough of, I guess. But these these mid-range decks, I don't know, they know that nobody's playing Terminus in the first place anymore. It's, I don't know. Like, what's the out to natural order um, uh, progenitors? Like, race it with Uro? I mean, yeah, maybe sometimes, but usually not. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I guess. I think I think I think elves must be still pretty favored against Blue Red Delva. Um, but I guess they can just kind of punk you with the dragon as it stands. Yeah, and they they can also just like take out your mana. That's just like you yeah. you don't always yeah. get to to fetch your basic lands. I, th- like, I think and, I guess I guess the respect that they should show is like just play. I mean, like, even a gut shot is, like, going to do a big thing and just, like, being able to double spell turn one or turn two. That's insane. Gut shot is one of the most insane cards here. It yeah, just so, totally wrecks your tempo. So, uh, and it's still good in the mirror as well because it kills a Ragavan or whatever, so... 
Yeah, I mean, I guess if we start to see like you know the classic delve sideboarding of uh, put two to three kind of random cards in, they'll just have a lot more game, <laughs> a lot more game. Yeah, or even just submerge. Submerge is basically like Gutshot. It's, it's a zero mana thing that removes one of your creatures, so it really hits your tempo super hard in the first turn. And yeah, I I wonder. Um, I I still have to figure out what I'm gonna play in the weekend in the in the showcase qualifier. Mm-hmm. I I might even like look into who's actually qualified and put them on decks and create that meta game in my mind because usually it's how, how many people is it like 24 or something it's like pretty small right something yeah like it's that. about 30 probably oh yeah that there's last minute qualifier last chance qualifiers so or maybe i'm just gonna like register whatever i want and then it's gonna be oops or spells or something <laughs> 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 or okay. my deed control like who knows maybe maybe that's the whole in the meta game that, that we need to be. <laughs> yeah but yeah Callum, i think we all know what what Alex and I are favoring the meta game right now. What excites you if if you had to play a big tournament on the weekend and you wanted to win? It's it's not like oh I have a local tournament I want to have fun. Like if you really want to go in it to win it, what what would you sleeve up right now? Elves or lands? Oh, you wrecked me with lands. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> lands. It's weird. I played it in challenge and I got like a, a trophy and did okay earlier in the week. And it is really good against Blue Red Delver. And I've and if I'm expecting tons of Bureau Delver, so if I was playing a showcase challenge, I think I'd play lands. Or if I was playing the showcase qualifier, as you are, I like lands. It really does beat it. But then I had a hilarious challenge I'd have to be anecdotal about. So I was like, okay, I've got the Sunday off. This is my first challenge I've played in two months. And round one was against Blue Red Delver. I got to beat them fine. The rest of my matchups were three Doomsdays, Marcus on High Tide, Curse Stompy, <laughs> and some other combo deck i've forgotten already it now i got like i stole one or two of them but like god it's just like where's all this stupid ragavan i wanted so anyway uh it, does, it still loses to combo as it as it kind of does and should anyway but uh yeah either that or elves elves is amazing still didn't still feeling like i'm a bit of an imposter i need to play it a bit more but hey there we go that's how you always feel like when when you pick up a deck and and even after a while when you've done really well when, when there's like other people who've played it even more yeah. then you always feel like, no, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I'm not a player of this deck, right? That, yeah, that's how it feels yeah. like. But uh, oh, that's bullshit. Yeah. No, <laughs> I've played it enough. Yeah. Um, I'll probably flip a coin between those two. There you go. Cool. So if... Oh, no, actually, uh, how, do we, how do we get out of this? Um, I, don't, <laughs> I don't have a proud segue. Uh, just say, <laughs> let's wrap it up there. Cool. So we're going to wrap it up here. If you guys are going to play any big tournaments on the weekend, if you guys want to play the showcase qualifier, definitely message me to <laughs> let me know what you're going to play. No, no but seriously, tweet at us um, at EternalMTG. Let us know what you want to play in Legacy right now, other than Blue Red Driver. <laughs> but yeah, that that's going to be it from us today. Alex, thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks a lot for, yeah, actually, you, you not only got me interested in Vintage, you also got me interested in Modern. I guess the two of you. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Yeah. I appreciate so it. So maybe we're going to have a dedicated episode about that in the future. Alex, where can people find you? Do, do, do you stream? I think you do a lot of work for theepicstorm.com, right? Yeah, you can find my writing there um, once a month. Um, I tweet more than I should at uh, Vivaris underscore. Um, uh, sometimes I stream. There's a link at the in the Twitter, but I haven't streamed in over a year. So, you know, it, it's hard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and Callum, people, I think uh, you are temporarily at. Oh yeah, I'm gonna remember now. It's, it's at Callum Smith MTG. Oh, that's pretty easy. I, I yeah. think you you should stay with that. Callum is such a unique name. Mm-hmm. 
we receive it. Actually, maybe we're gonna ask our Patreon. Patreon people. Oh God. Maybe you're gonna make an entire channel <laughs> where people can actually like discuss your future nickname. Let the Discord choose my nickname. Dear God, if anyone's made it through these couple of hours, then you deserve to at least have some say. <laughs> oh God, they're gonna come up with something horrific. I know it. I know Tom is going to have some crazy ideas. <laughs> Tom, please be nice. <laughs> so if you want to join our Discord, hit us up on uh, patreon.com slash channel. Or uh, I guess something that would also be really, really appreciated is if you left a review on Apple Podcasts uh, to, to let not only like us shine, but also let more people know about this podcast. So we can we can broadcast even wider, deeper into the world. I think we've got every pretty much every continent covered from what I can see on, on stats. But yeah, that, that's amazing. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you so much, especially to our eternal witness here supporters, Tommy Hinks, Sastakida, Sebastian Holaga, Guillaume, Jake, and Severin Schwarzuber, and our top-tier Grizzle Brand supporters, Victor Benatzt, Batschibat, Scott Monroe, Jeremy Gates, Henrik Korkutz, Tom Hepp, Bill Schlichting, Joel Grenhead, and Paragon Games in St. Louis. Thank you so much. And see you again next time for, I guess, we're, we're going to do some kind of like end-of-year wrap-up episode unless something crazy happens. So Sounds good to yeah. me. And we're going to announce your new nickname, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> bye bye, everyone. See you. Bye, everyone.